Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor in chief. And today we are discussing the top 20 albums of 2020. Uh, it's gonna be an exciting, exciting conversation. And I will tell you right now, we do not know what the final list is. Yep. We've agreed on 14 albums. We still have six more to go and we're gonna debate this real time. Hopefully we'll actually be able to do it in this episode. You know, Jake and I can both be pretty stubborn. And if not, we will turn it over to our crew of I think 15 or so contributors um, and get their input. Uh, but, you know, we'll dig into it. So first of all, why are we qualified to do this? Jake has 25 years of- Man, you're aging me too much, man. <laughs> How many years you got? Uh Wait, you, you, you froze there for a second. How many years you got? 18 or 19. 18 or 19 years. Okay, so not a small feat. I've got uh, about 20 years myself. Uh, beyond that, we stay on top of the culture, I think, as much as anyone um, in this business right now. We listen to everything, not just things that fit the AFH prism. Uh, you know, I listened to Jack Harlow yesterday as soon as it came out. Um, and we, like I said, consult with a, a, a tribe of experts. Uh, we've got a playlist that's got tens of thousands of followers. Uh, and if you rock with us, you know, we bring to the table, but you know, that's why you should care. And hopefully we'll bring some compelling arguments as to why these albums are the 20 best. Uh, but as always, we welcome your comments in the section, you know, uh, our fans, and we'll get into this in a minute. Our readers are the people who keep us honest and the people who really are the ones who are the arbiters of this culture. We just help to be a prison. So yeah, you, man. Got any, got any words, any, any thoughts before we kick it off? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I, I might've missed the point, but you know, I've definitely been a fan for close to uh, yeah. Between 25 and 30 years, you know, diehard fan. And yeah, I mean, I've always looked at AFH like our readers have a hand on the steering wheel too, you know, and we've very much curated our site to their tastes as much as our own. And, uh, whatever staff we had rocking with us at, at whatever year it was. So this is exciting, man. It, it really is the most wonderful time of the year. For sure. For sure. All right. So let's, let's kick it off by talking about year and listen general. You know, I started these, uh, you know, so I started AFH in 2010 in earnest and really started doing it publicly for people in 2011. Um, and I think it was 2011 was the first year I kind of did a year end list and if you go back and look at it, I, I think it would shock people because I had stuff like uh, YMCB and you know stuff like that that is uh, much more commercial than we tend to lean at this point. Um, but that's when I started getting into it. And then when you joined in 2013, we did it as well. At the time, urine lists were pretty commonplace. Everyone had their their list: Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, Source. Um, you know, Two Dope Boys, Not Right. Like everyone kind of like had their imprint on the culture. But as time went on, it started to feel like it was a bit uh, pro forma, a bit like, uh, you know, rubber stamp, a bit dated. And I a lot started, of nepotism, too, you know, a lot of nepotism. Yeah, a lot of. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and very, very siloed, too. And I started to think that they lost their relevance. I personally believe that people uh, don't look to gatekeepers as much to tell them what they like. They listen to you know, playlists, they get algorithms, they get recommendations from friends. And they don't need that voice to tell them what to listen to. And so I started to push back on it. And then, you know, uh, we decided we had done the competition, the GOAT. 
uh, where we had our audience tell us, you know, who is the greatest of all time, you know, group, MC, producer, producer. whatever it might be. So we said, why don't we use that format and have the readers actually tell us, you know, what the best albums are of the year. And so we kind of came up with our own framework and template, um, you know, just to give people something to react to, you know, talking with our writers and things like that. And ultimately, um, they, and we gave a wild card, like, options so people could write so in anything. That everything could be included. Yeah. The whole nine. And the first year we did that, it was a wild card that won. It was Big Crit's uh, album. Um, first year we did the wild card. Yeah, with first, the first, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is that they never really got a ton of traction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think partly it's because by nature, you're doing it at the end of the year. People are checked out. I focus on, you know, gift, gift buying, travel, things like that. This year is probably different, you know, because everyone's still kind of locked down. But, w- yeah. but what's your what's your take on album of the year lists in general? You know, I agree with everything that you said. And nowadays, I mean, especially with social media, you know, everyone's posting their Spotify unwrapped. Everyone is list, you know, orientated. And we can all share our list with the world. But the reason why I believe in these and the reason why it's fun, even in a year when we stop publishing, you know, as a daily operation, AFH, um, is Sean Price. I, um, in 2005, I was working at All Hip Hop as the features editor. And if you remember, 05 is the year, you know, 50 Cent Massacre. You've got late registration. That's the Jeezy year. And I and, and a lot of my colleagues at the time went really hard for Monkey Bars by Sean Price. And I can't remember what award it won. I don't think it won album of the year, but we gave Sean Price his flowers in 2005. And Sean emailed me. I still have the email. And Sean, you know, I mean, if you know anything about that album, you know that that album was a last ditch effort. He was ready to kind of quit. He went back to his name, very low budget album in terms of its making and production. Um, And to see it get recognition and props. Sean personally told me, you know, what a, what a phenomenon that was for his career to keep going. And we all watched what Sean did in the next 15 years. So I think of that. And there are always going to be artists in our culture that are not going to get Grammy representation, that are not going to get Billboard Music Award or BET Hip Hop Award. And it's really important that we give, you know, create a stage, large or small, to just honor greatness. I mean, because that's so much of what Ambrosia for Heads stands for in concept alone. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. And Crit, like, you know, had a similar kind of like, uh, you know, he was honored to have the fans select his album that year. And we got a great interview with him. And, you know, he got recognition that he might not have otherwise gotten. So I agree with that. You know, the other thing for me is I actually enjoy reading the lists of others, uh, of our peers in the the space. Like Two Dope Boys, I love reading what Mecca and Shake put there they actually turned me on the gold link that had not been on my radar um that year there's so much stuff to consume that sometimes inevitably there's something um that slips to the cracks and so you know looking at that pitchfork and things like that um is a great way for me to learn too so i think uh, I, i think people legitimately have an interest yeah i mean that was my favorite thing in the magazine era is in the back you know and i got to be part of this with a few mags is where the editors and contributors would list their like five songs or their favorite album of the moment. I love that. Like I used to write those down. The entire reason I bought the listening by little brother, the week it came out is because it was co-signed by Jazzy Jeff and Questlove. So I know we're not living in necessarily the record store model anymore, but if there's somebody I respect in the space, even our readers and they go really hard for an album, I will always make a point 
to check it out. And, and that's the beauty of this culture. We're a word of mouth thing. And I know you've had a similar experience, you know, back in your years in Boston, hanging around record stores and, and kind of buying off the word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, this is our opinion. I think our opinion is informed as informed as, you know, anyone else's in, out there in space, but we welcome the opinions of uh, the readers, the viewers, the listeners uh, looking forward to hearing what we missed what you think uh, is deserving on this list and going from there. So typically, you know, I started off with 10 albums, right? Like, um, you know, you know, but actually, you know, afterwards I I evolved into, you know, I think it's corny to like limit it to a finite number because, you know, there could be 30 great albums in one year and 10 in another year and 15 in another year. So why not just acknowledge the best albums of the year? And the beauty of the internet is that, you know, uh, you don't have to like fit it into certain frameworks, but you always push back on that. You always wanted to have it be capped at a specific number. What, why was that? Because I feel like they're, you know, gangstar hard to earn, you know, like there needs to be a gate. You said gatekeeper earlier. And for me, if we come with an infinite number, whether that's large or small, it almost makes um, the artists that we're excluding see it makes it seem almost deliberate you know and it's funny everywhere that I've worked but especially the last seven with AFH there's there were artists upset at me last year artists that you and I both know artists that are hip-hop legends that hit me with emails like really fam really (laughs) um and I know that these lists can be controversial that way there are there are folks that I have on my list this year that have been very upset at me at other places I've worked for excluding their albums So I like that. And I I really think you need a confine to understand if you and I come with 20 albums, that doesn't mean that there's not 30 or 40 really good albums this year, but this is the 20 we agree on. This is the 20 that reflects the brand, um, you know, how we perceive the year, et cetera. So I like, I like those, those confines. And I'm a, I'm a sports fan as are you, and I'm not about participation trophies. I like the fact that my team some years just doesn't make the playoffs. Word, that's true. And typically we do around 15 or so because, um, you know, once you start getting past that, I think you start getting thin with the quality. And to your point, in order to like keep us honest, like, you know, uh, 15 is a hard number and you got to make some tough choices. This year we opted for 20, you know, it's 2020, you know, it seems like it's fitting to have 20 in 2020. Um, But yeah, so here's the format we're going, we, we both, I've kind of created lists over the last few weeks. I've gone back and and done a bunch of re-listening over the last several weeks, as I'm sure you have too. Um, I started with our playlist because because that's where we have, it's our kind of personal collection of the best music of the year. And um, then I kind of went and looked and did research to kind of fill in the cracks. Um, You know, we have also taken pride in not just putting in music that fits the AFH prism as our audience might understand it, but as we believe the brand should be represented. And a good example of that is um, Travis Scott. We put Astroworld in, despite the fact that we hadn't run a bunch of Travis Scott content. Although we run back, some, you know, we look at we, we actually run a fair amount. You know, um, we run a fair amount because Travis to me kind of transcends genre and is just an artist that is really important. And I believe that that album needed to be, um, we, we needed to have that as, uh, you know, as affiliated with AFH to show that we were in touch 
with major and important movements in hip hop that year. And it proved to be, I think, the right call because that album went on and won you know, tons of accolades and I think will be a cultural moment for hip hop that people look back to and say, wow, that was a defining era. Um, so I also look to think about things that didn't make the playlist and that we might not have supported um, and that you know, people might not have heard of, but what's your approach to putting together the list? Yeah, I mean, I like that. And I truly think when you go back and look at, you know, I think it was 2018 with Astro World, if I'm not mistaken, like that album is is a, you know, stone in the sand. I was not the biggest fan of Young Jeezy's Thug Motivation 101. But when you go back and think about the music landscape of 2005, I think it was a fine album. I don't think it was the greatest album that year, but it is a stone in the sand. You have to consider those things. Um and yeah, you know, there, I think there are absolutely albums on our list that are reflections of our readers, as well as artists that I know for a fact, there's a couple of artists that are emerging that have never gotten ink on AFH, you know, which yeah. is pretty interesting. Word. Okay, so cool. So we both put together our list of 20. Not surprisingly, when we came back, there was pretty significant overlap. Um, More than most years, I gotta say. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, you know, I think that that's, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. You know, uh, I don't know that our ears necessarily are more aligned this year. I don't know that there's been as much great product or it's been very much more clear cut what the great product was versus the not great product. Um, but but which, what, why do you think that is? Why do you think we agreed more? I mean, I, I I do agree with what you just said. I think we've, live in, we've lived in a very singles driven year. Um, I think it's a very diverse landscape this year. Um, and it's funny. I mean, you and I often joke that we tend to like the same albums, but we like different moments from those mm -hmm. albums. You've often accused me of being uh, soulless. Uh, <laughs> R&B. You hate R&B. Yeah. But, but, but I changed my assessment, and I'm going to tell you why later. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I've accused you of coddling white rappers. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 Okay. No, I'm just messing body blows. Body blows. Okay. But uh, no, I, you know, this year, I just... I think that, that things align. And I do think there's a theme of a lot of these albums that really fit 2020. You know, it's hard to come in 2020 and make a happy-go-lucky album. And it is amazing because some of these albums that we're about to talk about were recorded be before we knew what COVID was. You know what I mean? But yeah. somehow these themes fit the year. And, and this year more than usual, and, and not for nothing too, this list as it's taken shape in other years, has often included a lot of input from our writers. And that's one of the things that you and I have used as a rubric to say, man, you know what? Maybe I'm being way too subjective. Like I, I love this so-and-so album, but no one else put it on their list, you know? Um, and that's happened and we, we understand it. So our, our, as, a, as a family, as a team, we've, we've been able to um, kind of get some communal uh, you know, agreement here. Okay. So we started with 20, uh, we got 14 overlap, which means we got six uh, spots that we disagree on and that we're gonna have to come to some sort of agreement by the time this is over. Uh, or like in the event that we can't, then we're gonna yeah. have to you know, turn it over to um, you know, our team of contributors and maybe even the audience. Maybe this becomes a yeah. part two and we, we let the audience finish it up. But I, I have confidence that we'll come to 20, uh, but we'll see. I, we have no idea. That's the beating. Of this Maybe week. one of us yeah. won't concede and we'll have to get lawyers involved and it'll drag <laughs> on for weeks and months, you know. We truly, exactly. Uh, we truly have no idea. Uh, and so that's, that's the beauty of this. I'm excited. So you want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to 
each take, uh, we're going to alternate and each present one of the 14, you know, back and forth. And then once we've done that, then we're going to make arguments for the six or so that we each think should be included. And then we'll, we'll have a, um, and then we'll go back and review and figure out which of those six will make it collectively. So uh, why don't you kick it off? This is the album that you, for much of 2020, yeah, consider to be the album of the year. And so, absolutely, I'm, I'll begin. Um, Royce the Five Nine, the Allegory, which is a a fitting place to sp- to start. Um, both you and I were privy to an early iteration of that album last year. It was we thought it was coming out around this time last year, and I'm glad that Royce waited. Um, I often think those albums early in a year get a lot of breathing room, and I tell artists that. But, um, you know, key tracks first. You know, I I pick three. Um, Upside Down with Benny the Butcher, which got a video, I believe, last year, early this year. I Don't Age, which was a single um, early on, Royce Alone. And then he's got a joint that I played a ton this year called Pendulum with a guest vocalist, Ashley Sorrell. Um, you know, guests on the album, uh, just to kind of go through those things. Um, you've got the Griselda guys, interestingly isolated to three different tracks of Benny Conway and, and Gunn. You got Crooked Eye, some Slaughterhouse Connection. And what was really interesting, and it's one of the things that Royce did with the album, is he kind of knighted a new generation of spitters. And you've got guys like Vince Staples on there, G Perico, which um, is not somebody that might jump out at you as a Royce guest, kills his feature. Um, Sire the Kid, you know, who's been down with cash money and, and making moves in Atlanta for years. Also has T.I., Graf, you know, who's a veteran. Royce put his brother Kid Vicious on, and he's got his prime brother DJ Premier providing scratches. I might have missed a few folks, but um, what's so dope to me about this album, on top of its lyrical merits, which I'm going to get into, is Royce produced the whole thing himself. Um, you know, we we've heard Royce say that he was going to kind of move into production. And I think we've watched a lot of artists kind of take a track or two on their album, usually sometimes a co-production credit. Royce just did the whole damn thing. And, um, you know, Static Selector made this point to you and I recently. I mean, Royce is somebody who's done entire albums with DJ Premier. He's worked with Knotts. He's worked with Eminem as a producer. He's worked with, you know, a who's who of great guys behind the boards. And putting his discography, his catalog on the line, he takes this one himself and he more than delivers. Um, And what I think is really interesting about this album, you know, the word think piece um, kind of has been turned into a disparaging term. But I look at the allegory as um, food for thought, to use a term that you and I use a lot. It's really dense. Um, You know, it's based on the allegory of the cave by Plato. Um, without being overly heavy-handed with that. And Royce is speaking about the generation gap in rap, um, you know, some of the uh, educational literacy issues that exist in the record industry, you know, how artists get jerked, to put it another way, or industry role, you know. Um, He's also talking about racial and institutional oppression and systems of power. But those all sound like big, big, heavy ideas. And Royce just interweaves it through what he's always given us, which is really dope bars. Um, I think this album, when it came out, made a lot of headlines because, you know, Royce checked Yellow Wolf. Um, you know, you had a video that kind of spoofed the Takashi 6 9 situation. But underneath it all, I mean, is really a masterpiece, in my opinion. Both you and I have, through AFH, 
been big supporters of Layers, um, of the first and, and second Prime album, as well as, uh, you know, the Book of Ryan, Royce's most recent album before this. I think this is Royce's magnum opus. And I know it doesn't necessarily have songs that are those big singles like a boom or a hip hop. You know, Royce has given us those joints over the years. But in terms of, a, hey, I've got one hour in the car. I'm on this road trip. You want a lean back experience that feels like a book, like a self-help book? You know, look no further. And it's a dark and dense album made long before COVID, to my point, that really fits the complications of 2020. Wow. So you put it above Book of Ryan. That's, that, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's significant. You know? And here's uh, why I'll say that too, just really quickly is, you know, the Book of Ryan had a couple of joints that, um, you know, I thought were just like, let me pause this journey and just get lyrical with you. You know, um, Caterpillar, right? Like we saw that on there. And I, I mean, that was a huge post for AFH. This one I feel like Royce just invested it all in the album, in the journey, nothing extra. He, he even said to me when I interviewed him in February, you know, you can go out and get, um, you know, an A-list feature, but does it fit? And I feel like Royce just, you know, kind of put the album in cruise control with the most integrity. Mm. You know, um, we both heard a copy, a version of this album in 2019, late 2019. And you had said at that time that it would have been your album of the year for 2019. There were some variations, slight, but some um, between that version and the final version. Uh, but it was great to see it evolve. Um, I actually had the privilege to be on set with Royce for the Black Savage, um, uh, Black Savage um, uh, video. And it was shot at a famous comedian's house um i won't disclose the person or the location but uh it was very cool to kind of connect with royce and uh, reconnect with sahai and and see that start to take shape and i agree with you you know we, we talked a lot about royce over the years and his progression so you know no said but no incredible summary um incredible album and i'm glad he's getting the grammy recognition too yeah uh, something that um not expected you know given royce who I think some would consider to be more of an underground rapper, despite the fact that he's had, you know, multi-platinum success with Eminem, uh, but well-deserved. And for him to get that on the first album he ever produced is pretty amazing. Uh, so I'll, I'll start it off with Nas, King's Disease. Um, this is an album um, that I think was a bit polarizing between you and me at first. You weren't a huge fan of the first single, Ultra Black. Um, I thought that Hit Boy had Nas sound really contemporary. Um, and updated and in pocket in a way that he had not been for quite some time. For me, this is Nas's best album since Life is Good. Um, maybe not such a controversial statement given that right. he's only had two releases since then, Nasir yeah. and um, you know, The Lost Tapes too. But what I will say is that he's had a lot of songs that he's released between that time. And you know, Life is Good was, I think, 2012 or so. Um, yeah. Uh, it's been it's been a long time since that album was released, and you know Nas has released a lot of music that I don't know lived up to the legacy of what he had in the early to mid two thousand. So I won't say a comeback record, but in a lot of ways, this reestablished Nas as a viable and phenomenal MC. Uh, you know, more than twenty five years into his career, and uh, to have songs that were, I believe, you know, as radio friendly as he's ever had, 
at this stage uh, was really a momentous thing. Um, you know, I think some people might have thought that he was starting to lose his mojo, and this put him firmly back in the conversation and showed that he's still got it. You know, so key tracks for me on the album. Um, you know, this one took some time to grow on me. I think it was your first and favorite uh, from the beginning, which is card number 85. Word. You know, uh, featuring Uncle Charlie, it, it just feels like old New York. You know, before Uber, you got the car, you're calling the car, the black car, and you're just riding through and like peeping the city and seeing the vibe. It took me back to my early days when I started uh, as a lawyer. Like um, I'd be working late at night and I'm in my mid twenties, you know, leaving work at 10, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. And even though that was uh, definitely not the way I wanted to be spending my day, something about getting in that car and driving up the West Side Highway and watching and like, you know, heading into Harlem was just like, that was epic. That felt like New York and felt like, you felt like you made it when you got in that kind of car, you know, and, and you know, Charlie is like, still got it sounding phenomenal. So. That, that's a key track there. Ultra Black for me, I loved it. When you think about this year and you think about the word black, it's always gonna be associated with two words that follow lives matter. And that's a heavy, heavy, heavy um, phrase. And I think that when it connotes, um, you know, uh, anger and sadness and frustration, um, you know, and so the word black is a real heavy thing this year, uh, but, Nas connected it with, um, you know, black excellence. And that's something that, um, you know, was resonating, uh, especially in the years of Obama. And like, we're all feeling proud and Jay and Puff and you get black billionaires and, um, you know, Nas celebrating blackness and bringing out the positive, uplifting, upbeat notion of what it means to be black and not have it be juxtaposed with us being killed by other people unjustly, I thought was phenomenal. And so it became an anthem for me that made me feel um, loud and proud. So love that song and you know, the Hit Boy beat too. And I like the, the cadence too, the like, um, um, you know, the repetition of Ultra Black too. It's just like, to me, it's just it's a phenomenal, upbeat, um, empowering song. Full Circle for me um, is like one of my best song, favorite songs of the year, you know, uh, the firm reuniting and the entire firm. You got Foxy Cormega and AZ. You got the good Dr. Dre kicking eight bars at the end for good measure, just to remember that he kind of put the firm on the map. He was the first to like, uh, you know, to release their album. Uh, so that one was huge for me. And it has one of the lines of the year for me, like one of my favorite uh, Nas lines ever. You know, he says, uh, you know, I talked to my boxing trainer He's my logic explainer. Conversations and our combinations. Like, I mean, just like that line, man. Like, um, uh, just like, you know, just that that notion of like, you know, being physical and how you work out your um, your issues, your your problems, you come to solutions in that, that physical activity, you know, and having that person who pushes you and the, the way that you can communicate with someone, not verbally, but, you know, through physical activity, um, but conveying deep things, just that that line just resonates with me in a, in a major way. And then, uh, you know, All Bad, you know, which is uh, his collaboration with Anderson Pack, I think that is one of like AP's um, best uh, choruses, like, you know, super soulful. He didn't put out a bunch this year, but this one um, stuck with me, um, you know, almost as much as Lockdown did. And, you know, Nas, you know, when he gets into his nostalgia tip on relationships, you know, I think is one of the best to do it. Part of the reason yeah. why I like life as good as much is because he was very open and honest about, 
the unwinding of his marriage with Khalees, you know. Um, and so when Nas gets in that bag, like, you know, I think he's at his best. And this is him doing that too, um, you know. So that was great for me. And in terms of features, you know, we, we talked about a couple. You had Charlie Wilson, he had um, The Pack. Firm, he yeah. had Anderson Pack, you know. Uh, he has some really unexpected ones like Lil Dirk, uh, mm -hmm. which I don't think most people would uh, pair nods with Lil Dirk. He had ASAP Ferd, which was uh, also a, a bit unexpected. Um, you know, he had Big Sean, which, you know, not, I think that one is, you know, more in pocket, especially when you got the Hit Boy connection. But it wasn't a too heavy feature album. It was really Nas just kind of shining on his own. And, you know, Hit Boy, you know, I said this uh, early on, and you kind of disagree with me until the Benny dropped, but yeah. like um, Hit Boy taking the reins on all the tracks and the way that he positioned Nas, like I said, uh, it felt like Nas, it didn't feel like Nas going commercial the way that um, some people viewed, um, you know, his pivot, um, you know, and what it was written. Um, you know, it felt like Nas being Nas, but sounding like up to date. And so, um, so I thought Hit Boy did a masterful job and it sounded very different than the Benny album too. Yeah. So he, he gave distinct sounds to each artist. Uh, you know, in terms of longevity, I think that this album will be one that people look back and say it, it's what reestablished Nas and positioned him, um, you know, repositioned him for this decade um, going forward. And right now, I don't see any cap on Nas's ability to continue for as long as he wants to. Man, I agree with everything you said. I think Nas, um, well, personally, I favor Royce. I think Nas is in an interesting position to win his first Grammy Award with this. Mm -hmm. And I think it, you know, if that happens, even if it doesn't happen, I think Nas's battery is recharged. I think Nasir, even Nas has admitted, was a misfire, um, especially given the hype of having Kanye at the helm for a whole album. And, you know, Lost Tapes, you know, the, the second one is an album, but it's it's devoid of a theme, in my opinion. You know, that's one of the things that he did with the first Lost Tapes. Like, these are songs that I want to get to you, um, but I'm not going to... And Nas is one of the most thematic MCs. So, yeah, this one really sets a nice tone going into a new decade. And I really agree with the tracks you spotlit. That, uh, that firm reunion and, man, you know, I know what that means to Cormega. Um, you know, who's been somebody I've been in touch with the last 16 years and just to rewrite history or write a new chapter to a complicated history. That was one of my favorite, you know, feel good moments of 2020 for hip hop. So I'm back. Uh, I'm back on. So the, the album is Save Yourself by an MC named Nana. And I hope I'm saying that that properly. Um, you put this album and this artist on my radar. And again, this is exactly why I love these kind of lists. So, um, you know, he's an MC from the Crenshaw district, you know, the same, the same streets as Nipsey. Uh, I, on the album, he mentions, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> what do you say? Lamert Park? Um, yeah, Lamert Park, you know, yeah. Park. So he was previously known as Blazon Maven and then changed his name recently. But as, as far as I understand, this is a, this is a debut. You know, he came into the game a few years ago with my man Thurs from you and I. Um, and I loved it. Like, I love this quality in hip hop where you literally texted me a song of the day. And I was so captivated that I started listening. You know, I was like, yo, I got to hear more of this MC. And it brought me to Save Yourself, which has stayed in rotation the last four or six weeks, whenever you've sent that. And what's so interesting is, you know, controversy and publicity sells in 2020. 
I, um, I had to dig to find an interview with Nana and I found a, a cool conversation at DJ booth, but he's not a controversial artist. He doesn't have all these talking points. He's not coming out of a lengthy bid or he's signed to this label or anything. It's entirely skills based. And I think that that is a really high hurdle in 2020 for hip hop to just get in the door by being dope. And in a lot of ways, this, this album um, has the quality of, like some of Dreamville's artists like Boss or, or Loot, you know, like he's rapping about everyday issues that I know in my mid thirties I go through. And I would imagine you at your age, you go through, like it's just really good hip hop. It's very skillfully done. And then he also reminds you that, yo, I am in, I'm in Crenshaw. I'm in a part of LA that is not only, you know, historic for its black heritage, but it's also a dangerous place. It's gangland. And, you know, you get that in one of my key tracks on the track, excuse me, on the album is um, LA Times, which is his collaboration with Reason, where both of them kind of rap. It's part storytelling, part personal testimony of just what it's like in LA um, these days. And I thought that it's just a, a really phenomenal album. Um, not a lot of guests besides Reason. Black Soul, who is a, you know, a, a singer that's was or, or is managed by Big Poo, who's been on a lot of key albums over the last few years, he's on it. But that's, I mean, that's really it. And in terms of producers, there were names that I, I'm familiar with DK the Punisher, who worked on D Smoke's album as well. But, you know, these other names like Audio Anthem, Bregma and Cal Banks, I'm kind of new to the party. I like that in hip hop. Um, and I really just think that this is, I listened to it three times yesterday as I drove around Pittsburgh. And I was just like, this album is so damn impressive. And I love that. I love when I can learn about an MC through their album more than you know a series of high profile interviews or whatever and um nana has been one of the great surprises of this year but you put me onto it i'm curious what you have to add yeah man i mean this one was an incredibly welcome surprise for me i'd never heard of him either you know uh, but a friend of mine brendan actually said yo this album is dope and sent it to me uh he was a reader of afh um, and he and I work together now. Um, it was, um, and I, and I, I, I checked it out just on his recommendation and was blown away similarly like you. Like those are the best surprises when you have no expectations of something and you listen to it and it just keeps on, uh, you know, representing with the consistency and quality that you just had no idea was gonna come. Uh, I love being able to spotlight artists like this. You know, you and I had um, a spotlight column for the site where we look to really highlight up and coming artists and artists that people might not, might not be on people's radar. And I'm really, really hopeful that people go back and check this album out because it's incredibly uh, solid. And I think something that all of our readers and listeners would like, um, you know, I, I think you did a awesome job summarizing it. I just think um, it's great to see when that happens, you know, and so I'm happy to be able to support it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's so important of the Ambrosia ecosystem. We, we curated um, and we continue to curate, but it makes when somebody, it's kind of like, a, I was never in a fraternity, I know you were, but it's kind of like when somebody new comes into a sacred place, like you want to get to know them, you want to kind of, you know, feel them out and understand them. And over the years, you know, Lute is a great example of that. I think Bosses, I think Saba from Chicago, like there's certain artists that come into the party and then you immediately want to know more. So apart from LA Times, which is the reason collab, Heaven and Hennessy is just a, you know, I, I can't 
I can't do the track much justice, but if you're looking for places to begin, that's one. And if I'm not mistaken, the initial song that you sent me was Come and Go, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And that one continues to be a highlight on the album. Um, you know, it's just one of those when you're in your head or in your feelings, but not too, too melancholy. It's just one of those songs that's very aspirational, very, uh, you know, hey, I'm in this transition point in life, um, but it just fits. You know, it's it's there's so much on this album that feels like it's a personal um, like diary or journey journal that you can we can all relate to. So, yeah, I'm it's cool. Like I listen to this and then over the last month I've gone into his back catalog and, and just checked out different things. So great to see. Word. So next up is Jay Electronica, a written testimony, uh, another Grammy uh, nominee. You know, this one is it's, it's a bit of a cheat code, you know, um, it's a debut album for an artist that has been around for 15 years or so. He's yeah. had like, um, you know, like countless singles and mixtapes that have like really, really changed the culture. He's become a mythical figure, you know. Um, but then to add to that, to have Jay-Z, you know, arguably the greatest of all time on seven, eight of the 10 or so tracks is, you know, is it's more of a debut album or, or a, a collabo album than a, a solo album. And so, um, but that being said, it doesn't change the fact that it's high quality, you know, and I think that when it was released, um, definitely plays a part in it, you know, so you've got this guy who I think many people never thought would release a full album because, you know, the fits and starts and the it's coming this year um, happening over several years, I think kind of put it in the, the level of like a detox where people just thought it was never something that was going to happen. Um, but then for it to be released on March 13th, which, you know, is the day after the entire country basically went on lockdown, you know, it was March 11th and that Utah game um, where, uh, you know, the NBA shut down and it got really, really real for anyone who was still kind of in doubt of the seriousness of the pandemic, uh, when the NBA shut down, I was in the air, you know, flying to California. And I remember just having a sinking feeling like, oh, man. And so to get this album that day after that Friday was a bit of a, a salve, you know, something that helped, like, you know, heal the wound that was opening uh, with this lockdown. It's interesting, too, because Jay-Z has now been um, associated with two of these tragedies, you know, um, September 11, 2001 is when the blueprint was released. And I'm not sure if people remember that, but that became a defining um, um, album of that year and of the era. And arguably, you know, I think one of Hove's top three between Reasonable Doubt, that and uh, 444, um, I think in Black Album, his best. Uh, so for Jay Z to be connected to like such heavy moments and cultures, it's just kind of a weird thing, you know, but that album was um, a needed distraction at the time. And it also sounds very messy, very dirty, um, you know, um, kind of like what was happening at the time. It's not polished. There's nothing pristine about it. You know, so thematically, I think it fits with the time. And when people go back and look at it, I think it'll be a real distinct time capsule for what this year was, um, not not only in hip hop, but just, you know, what was happening in the outside world. For me, uh, key tracks are The Never Ending Story. Um, Alchemist is 
this has been a phenomenal year for Alchemist. He's going to come up again and again, um, you know, in our discussion because he had his hands in a lot of really great projects. I'm not sure that people um, understand how much he was involved, but it's going to be great to be able to highlight that. But this is real psychedelic soul. You know, Alchemist has this real spooky kind of like a, ethereal beats. And this is one of those vintage ones. Flux capacitator is another one, you know, um, you know, you know, flux capacitor being a reference to uh, Back to the Future and what, you know, uh, you know, Marty McFly and uh, Doc Brown used to get back and forth in time. On the DeLorean, yeah. yeah on the DeLorean, yeah. And, and it fits because it sounds like it travels back and forth through different years of JLX career. You know, um, you got aspects of shiny suit theory and then, you know, um, and then uh, also Jay-Z. I think it's probably his best verse. He blacks out. He talks about the Rock Nation brunch and yeah. how it's a holiday uh, that he set up for like people to come and like you know um, pay homage to Hove and like it's Jay you know talking his you know talking his ish like just being crazy you know it's great and then Ezekiel's Wheel um, the song with the dream um, who is uh, you know muted uh, and incorporated into the song it doesn't overwhelm it it's not like you know standard R and B hook or anything like that and so. That's a great song too. Um, it's not heavy on features, you know, beyond Jay-Z, of course, who's on, you know, the vast majority of the album. You got Travis Scott and The Dream, and um, those are kind of the key features. Um, on the production side, similar to Royce, Jay Elect actually handles the vast majority of production himself. And I don't think that most people think of him doing that but he gets down with the beats um a lot with this Man. um ever since i mean the first time i noticed him as a producer was queens get the money for nas which was 08 you know yeah. so i mean yeah. but you're right everyone talks about him as an mc and forgets the fact he's nice with the boards he's nice with the know? beats too yeah and beyond himself he's got alchemist and swiss beats and you know hit boy and arab music and no id so not a bad lineup you know in addition yeah. but to be able to stand with giants like that and hold his own in production, I think says a lot about JLX too. Um, you know, despite the pressure that this album had, I think that it ultimately met expectations. Um, it was different than I thought it was going to be. It was more esoteric and offbeat. But when you step back and think about what JLX has been, he's never been predictable. He's never been conventional. So I thought it was a great representation of who he is as an MC. Yeah, I feel that a lot. I mean, Jay, you know, with Exhibit A and Exhibit C, you know, MCs didn't sound like that. And he kind of went away, you know, at the grand scale. And then you've had a lot of dope artists that we talk about on the constant. Some of them are on this list. But I think of the Rock Marcianos, et cetera, that have come in and, you know, you kind of kept it dirty by design. And now you have Jay coming back into that and really showing that he's one of the architects as is rock, you know, at doing that. And it's great to see. It's not a polished album like that at all. And um, I also think it's interesting, you know, back in the day, Jay would drop these songs on his Rockefeller artist album, like anything for beans. And he put dear summer on bleak's album and from watch the throne. And this, now you kind of get those things where Jay just gets locked in and decides to, play a heavy assist on you know his friends albums which is really and i know you know watch the thrones collaborative but no one expected that with this it was a rumor and you and i i think even debated the merits of that happening and then lo and behold it did yeah absolutely so um next up is run the jewels rtj4 um you know this is uh 
we've heard a lot about this album um, at the beginning of 2019. You and I were with Killer Mike for an interview and, you know, he didn't want to say too much, but promised greatness. And I think that absolutely Run the Jewels delivered that. Um, this is the longest LP uh, Killer Mike and, and DJ Trackstar have ever gone between albums. I mean, close to three years, which, you know, used, used to be they kind of came every year. Um, and, you know, I think that this really speaks to a lot of maturity. And it's interesting because both Mike and L have had careers long enough where we've said that before. You watched L go from this kind of like, you know, very jabby guy and company flow with a lot of piss and vinegar in his verses into a fully evolved artist on his solo album. And I mean, you know, and, and, and showing growth. And Mike, too, came in from, you know, Adidas to making these huge statements like RAP. But here they are, I mean, seven years together, um, you know, a little bit longer if you consider RAP, too, of just them working together. And they're evolving. I mean, I, the, 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 the closing track really jumps out at me. Um, you know, a few words for the firing squad. And you have L like, coming and addressing his sister, and kind of revealing that he wasn't an ally with whatever she was going through. You have Mike talking about family. Um, but RTJ also doesn't turn their back on the kind of party records and these amped up joints that they make. And the first, you know, Ooh La La with Greg Nice and DJ Premier to take Gangstar's Dwick and kind of refresh it in an RTJ way was amazing. And, you know, on the podcast, I said that wasn't my favorite record, but I've talked to a lot of people this year that say otherwise. And that's another case where I agree that the album absolutely belongs on the list. I, I love it. I kind of feel like the Grammy snubbed it. And I know Mike has said something to that effect. Um, but it's those deeper cuts that I really tend to like. And, you know, they kept the, they kept the, uh, the cypher um, true to form. Zach De La Roca comes back. You've got Pharrell on this one. Two Chains, who, uh, you know, they flipped the DOC, um, you know, joint and, and kind of revived that. And then you have Mavis Staples, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Um, but I mean, RTJ is a group that I feel like for a while we just kind of thought, okay, new music, new music, new music from them. And this one really shows um, growth, in my opinion. So outside of L on the production side, too, you have Dave uh, Sitek, who you know worked a lot with Wale on his first album and is part of TV on the radio. And then you have the usual RTJ affiliates um, like Boots, not to be confused with Boots from the Coup and Little Shalimar, um, you know, but it's, it's really just another great listen from them. And I mean, so often, especially in a virtual age, I feel like some artists just collaborate because it's a good look. And I mean, these guys are brothers the way that like Premier and Guru are brothers. Like these guys love each other and that bond just shows itself on the album. And um, I, I like the fact that they waited. It made me appreciate what RTJ represents even more. And that's not, I hope I'm not beckoning another long hiatus between albums, but this one really stood out. So yeah, this one, uh, this one was like, this one was, it took me a while to get to it, you know, um, because, you know, I, I thought that I knew what it would sound like, you know, RTJ have not strayed too much in terms of their sonic, like, you know, palette, like their sonic template. Um, and for me, you know, I like Run the Jewels. I have tremendous respect for them, but I have to be in the mood to hear them. You know, it's like, um, 
you know, it's a, it's a very uh, specific, it's very caustic and very like aggressive and you just got to be in the right mood for it. So I wanted to make sure that I was in that time, that, that frame of mind and given everything that was going on in the year, it took me quite a while to get past that, you know, the summer and everything. And then once I got into it, it took me a while to even um, complete the album. You know, I'd start and stop, start and stop because it wasn't, but when I finally did, I'll never forget I was driving in Southern California and I was like, you know what, let me just throw this on. And I think it was like, um, it was either late July, early August and, you know, just something about in the car, listening to music and hearing it loudly. And uh, I was like, yo, this is super dope. And so, um, you know, and I listened to it in one setting and then it quickly kind of set in, but I'm glad I took the time to be in the right frame of mind because I think that it tremendously impacts how you receive music. And once I did, like, I thought it was great. And I, I love their movement, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I think what may have prompted my interest again was I'd watched an interview that they did on The Breakfast Club and just love, always love hearing Mike speak. And Alice got such an interesting perspective, too. Just made me want to dig into the music. They've become one of the best live shows in, in hip-hop. And I caught them on their first run in, I think it was 2013 in Pittsburgh. You know, like a club date. Phenomenal. That same energy. I watched them you know, tear the absolute stage down in 2019 at Soundset. I mean, Lil Wayne was the headliner, but RTJ elicited something from the crowd that is just phenomenal. And it reminds me a lot of, you know, the energy of um, just crazy headliners in the early 2000s. And, you know, their bread and butter is festivals and touring. And they never could have imagined that this album that they took damn near three years to make wouldn't get a chance to tour, but it's one of those things in retrospect, you listen and there's a lot of more subdued tracks on here. It's not just all about those 808s and that, that stage boom in your face. Like this to me is probably the best headphone um, or car to your point, you know, RTJ album where it's just, it, it has, it's more accessible that way. So salute to them. And I have no doubt when the world opens up again, these, these guys are going to, you know, tear up the stage again. Yeah, they always do. You know, so next up is West Side Gun, Pray for Paris. Uh, like most years, this was, a, again, a very prolific 12-month period for Gun. He put out three albums, and I believe at least one mixtape. Um, I think that Pray for Paris was the best of um, all the products he released this year. Um, you know, and I actually think it's one of the best in his entire catalog. Uh, you know, I think part of it is because there's a diversity of sound. You know, if any, if there's any criticism to be had of West Side Gun, um, is I think that sometimes uh, there can be a, a bit of a homogeneity in his sound. You know, his, his tone is very, you know, similar, his cadence, um, and the music that he chooses tends to be of a, 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 a similar kind of like sonic template as well, especially with his Derringer stuff. But with this one, he had a real richness and diversity of sound. It was a very soulful album. Um, you know, he mixed it up. He, he was very intentional with his guests. Um, and I thought it was just really, really a great product and something I listened to from front to back multiple times. Key tracks for me, um, you know, the one that I had in heavy, heavy rotation still on the playlist to this date. And I've probably listened to the song well over a hundred times this year is 327. Hmm. Um, featuring Joey Badass and Tyler, the creator. This, for me, was a completely new sound for West Side Gun. Um, really, really rich and soulful. Produced by a producer I'd never heard of, um, uh, a guy by the name of Camouflage Monk, 
um, but really textured, layered, warm sound, um, you know, upright bass, very jazzy. Um, something that was very, very unexpected for me from West Side Gun. Um, yeah, another song is 500 Ounces, and this is with Freddie Gibbs and Rock Marciano. You know, I think that the Griselda, and I think you've made this point in the past too, actually owes a lot of its um, credit to Rock Marciano, because I mm -hmm. think that he really uh, kind of set this lane for what New York rap, New York under rap became in the late um, uh, aughts and early 2010s. And I think they took that that uh, and ran with it and, you know, and have definitely put their spin on it and, and made it their own. But I think having Marcy on, it, on the on the track is a great full circle moment. And, you know, Gibbs is always doing what he does, uh, you know, and, you know, guess who the producer is? Alchemist, you know, uh, once again, just showing the kind of year that he's had. And then the other standout for me is Sean versus Flair. And even though um, Griselda had had their DJ premiere track with headlines. headlines. Yeah. yeah where, and you and I interviewed them over that actually, which is, was great. Um, this is uh, Gunn's first solo track with Primo. And, you know, it's Primo, it's Primo at full strength, just sounding amazing. The scratch choruses, you know, off the charts. My favorite Primo beat of the year, you know. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah. So he's got that, that Fife like uh, scratch and, and a couple other things, just like, Primo just he just he just put his foot in this and just smoked it and, and gun sounded phenomenal. And I remember watching um, an interview with him. I think it was also Breakfast Club, but he's like, if you ever have burgers on a Wednesday, uh, you know, like he's, he's saying that like that's cold, that's prison. Like, you know, if you were in, you know, in prison in certain places that you know your diet was, you know, on a specific day. And so he's speaking to, you know, people who have that experience. So just you know it sounds like a throwaway line and like you know just kind of random but very intentional ray and ghosts do that stuff like that too yeah, yeah yeah it just shows how uh you know smart he is and intentional and focused he is with his lyrics you know features no surprise it's got conway and benny um on there um, as they they all tend to be on each other's projects joey and tyler we mentioned wale i thought was an interesting choice because they have a very different style of rap um and then you know freddie and rock marcy and then boldy james who we'll talk about in a bit uh, but who also did a lot of work with griselda um is a feature too and boldy had a phenomenal year as well uh producers on the album derringer uh, which is to be expected alchemist dj mugs who's been who's been on a lot of projects this year on, on the on the sneak tip you know Primo and then Tyler, the creator, who is uh, slept on like beatmaker too. So, oh yeah, he produced that. I never even realized that. Yeah, wow. well, yeah, well, yeah. He didn't produce. Uh, he didn't produce the, the song he was on. He produced oh, the other track. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, just really great. You know, uh, list of beatmakers who put together a cohesive but but very diverse sounding album for Gun. Now, so I think that, you know, this guy has put out so much stuff and will continue to put out so much catalog. But when all is said and done, I think people go back and look at this as one of the definitive albums of his career. Word. Yeah, I agree with that. And that, you know, that's my album that he did this year that I just feel like you're, you're worded. I know it's turned into a hip hop cliche, but cohesive it is. And uh, that's interesting about the chorus on Sean versus Flair. I didn't realize that about yeah. the burgers on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Um, keeping it Buffalo, you know, Shane Noir, um, 
she has been on the scene for a number of years, kind of running with 38 Spech, you know, who's out of Rochester. Um, we covered her on AFH. Um, they did the 1994 album um, and she and Spech just did a 95 album, but of kind of updating, paying respect to songs from that year. And that also is the year that Shane Noir was born, um, which we learn about on their album as God intended. So, you know, Apollo Brown, you know, as much as he gets respect, I still feel like he is so underrated um, and really has been one of the most trustworthy and consistent producers of the 2010s in this entire last decade. I mean, we can talk about joints with OC, Raz, you know, Razkaz, Planet Asia, Sky Zoo, on and on and on, in addition to his own albums. But um, in, in 2020, what he did with Shane Noir is incredible because she has a very prolific catalog, which might be the upstate New York way. She put out three albums this year. But when I heard the first single, Hustle Don't Give, with Black Thought, um, I, was, I was just enamored as could be in anticipation with this album. Um, and for Shay to hang in there with Tariq, that says a lot right there. Um, but what's, what's really interesting about this joint is, um, you know, she makes some incredible storytelling rap. I know one of the songs you, you especially like is 12 Hours. But she also just writes from, you know, this very skillful person that's building a blue collar career into hip hop. There's a lot of honesty. There's a lot of humility to the album but there's a lot of confidence in her skills and throughout the ages. That's one of the things I love in hip hop. We've watched a lot of MCs that we hold in the highest regard come in that way of like, yo, I'm just like you, but I've worked really hard at this. I want this so bad, you know, hear me out. And that's what I got from this album. Um, you know, and I thought Apollo, he doesn't get enough credit for making each batch of beats that he makes for these kind of collaborative projects different. Um, this one was more subdued than I think we got even from Joel's album a couple years ago, which made its way into the bracket. Um, you know, I, uh, the guests on it include obviously Black Thought and Hustle Don't Give is truly my song of the year. I just think that um, it's a great, it's a great testimony from an MC, like I said, that's seeking recognition in a very complicated industry, as well as Black Thought, you know, who's damn near 30 years in at the top of his game and kind of relating to that. Um, just a beautiful joint and what Apollo does. But you've also got Sky Zoo on there. You got Ty Ferris, Planet Asia, and again, Black Soul. Um, Apollo did the whole thing. But I just, uh, you know, top rank storytelling, incredible concept songs like 94, where Shane Noir goes back into the year she was born. I just, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And then it's another album that you can put on and skip nothing. This was with me for a lot of car rides this year. It's great when you're, you're kind of by yourself. You just feel like you're having that conversation. And, um, you know, Mellow Music Group is another label that, you know, you talk about the underground. And I don't think underground is always the right word, but they have just become, um, you know, a brand that you can trust, not unlike a wild pitch, you know, in the early 90s or a ruckus in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and if you've never heard of Shane Noir, start here. She put out three albums this year, one of which she produced. I think one 38 special produced, but this is this is the joint, and we agree on it. Yeah, you know, similar to Nana, like she's an artist that like it gives me a lot of pleasure to like 
you know, shine that light on because I don't know that a lot of people know about her. I didn't know about her until we got that 38 special song, um, like, I don't know, it was 2019, 2018. Yeah. Uh, and that was in like heavy rotation for me, just like, uh, you know, she's just cold with it, with, you know, and she fits into that, that, that lane of like a, a Rhapsody, a Lyric Jones, uh, a no name. You know, people who are not um, relying on like being hypersexualized or anything like that, just relying on being ill MCs, you know, to um, to put forth their craft. And uh, you know, I, I think that people don't pay attention as much as they should, despite the fact that their skill sets are as good, if not better, than you know almost any MC out there. And she's got a real laid back um, '90s. Uh, you know, kind of cadence. It's not overly complicated, but it's confident and and raw and rugged. And you know, I just love almost everything that I've heard from her. And so, it, it, I think it's phenomenal to be able to talk about her. It's so consistent to your point with with Apollo. Um, I do love almost everything he's done, but it does sound very different than than most things. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's a fantastic album. Yeah. So next up is uh, should be no surprise. We spent about 40, 45 minutes talking about this album. Not too long ago, Buster Rhymes, Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God. Uh, for me, this is the album of the year. I think that it is uh, the album of Buster Rhymes' entire career, his 30-year career. I think it's a classic album. Um, you know, I said that the weekend of, and I stand by that now. You know, interestingly for me, um, it's an album which sounds better um, listening to it as an album. The sequencing is so pristine and so intentional and builds and ebbs and flows in a great way. I noticed that I don't enjoy the songs as much on the playlist listening to it shuffled as I do hearing them in the album because it just, it just, it just flows so well. Um, they're all great songs in their own right, but as an album, I think it's an even better work, which is a rare thing you know, in this day and age. Um, it's a sonic masterpiece, you know, in that it just sounds big. It sounds great. Um, but it's also, and it's, you know, club bangers and things that make you want to move and make you want to jump, jump, you know, but it also, um, he, he's dropping jewels. He's dropping substance. He's giving you that food for thought, that ambrosia for your head. And so, um, for me, that's always like the, the Holy grail when you can, uh, please people's ears and also uh, stimulate their mind. So for me, it feels like both a time capsule um, because I think people will look back on 2020 and the crazy year that it was, and it's very reflective of what's going on at these times, but also once again, a prophecy, you know, because there's more to come. And I think Busta speaks on that very, very well. And so, um, you know, I think it's a, a phenomenal album. Um, I don't know if I'll say it's a perfect album, but I think it's very close, really close. So key tracks, I got a lot for this man. Um, it's hard for me to like, you know, be choosy about it. And it's a big, it's a big album. I think there are 18 tracks on the, or maybe mm -hmm. even 20 on the, on the, um, on the, the original and with the, the deluxe version, I think it's something like 25, but I'm talking about the original um, for this, for purposes of this. So just kicks it off with ELE2, the intro. And with that, you've got, you know, you've got Rakim uh, rhyming over like, um, you know, 
the the world is yours beat like the the pete rock nas beat pete on the boards and pete like on the chorus um and rakim is sounding as good as he sounded in 20 years um going bar for bar and theme for theme with 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 busta uh and busta just murders this track too it starts off differently and then shifts into that midway through you know i love like a beat change and we'll get into that in a bit with my guy logic um but like uh, and then you and the spoken intro is really ominous and it sets the tone for what's to come the entire album then you wrap it up with chris rock talking about how nice busta is and you know putting everybody on notice that this is about to be something special out of my mind um is the next one that I'll spotlight, which is, uh, it says it features BBD, it doesn't really feature them, but like it flips that poison beat and, you know, in a way that is unbelievable. And it, it does that passive provisier, um, you know, um, you know, with the jump, jump um, uh, reference to it too. And the beat, the drums are just so heavy. Like it just, you put this on a car and you put it on loud, dude, you are going to like shake the entire block with this track. It's just amazing. And Buster's cadence is an instrument. It layers perfectly into the song. Like um, he, he can alter his flow in so many amazing ways. And this one just melts perfectly into the track. Um, ELE2, The Wrath of God. You've got Minister Farrakhan, who's well into his 80s, sounding as powerful as ever. And um, no, none of us know. Um, you know, you can never take for granted how much longer someone like that is going to be with us. But he's, uh, you know, again, dropping jewels and, you know, uh, putting people on warning, on warning as well. Uh, don't go. Busta changes his flow and slows things up and is laid back and in the pocket with Q-Tip. And Q-Tip is sounding absolutely amazing on this, too. That's the thing that happens again and again in this album is, Q- is that Busta gets the best out of everyone who joins him, you know. Um, and then you've got True Indeed, uh, which, you know, as hard as it is to believe, you know, we talked about Gunn getting his first track, but he's not that deep into his career. But for Buster Rhymes to have been around for 30 years and to have been such a staple of New York hip hop, to get his first Primo track 30 years into the game is pretty crazy. And, you know, uh, Primo also, like, uh, you know, I think this one, um, I think this one, is probably this one might be even my preferred beat to the West Side Gun beat in terms of what Primo did this year. And the other thing is when you listen to this verse, like ask yourself, when does Buster breathe? Like it's <laughs> like look at yeah. me now, where he just goes on and on and on and on and on, seemingly without taking a breath. Like just his flow is incredible. Uh, what might be my favorite track on the entire album is Master Fard Muhammad, um, and it's with Rick Ross. Again, complete, you know, uh, change in gears in terms of Buster's sound. Ross is sounding, you know, typically soulful in the pocket and as he always is. And it just showcases Buster's versatility. Um, and then look over your shoulder. Um, that was such a, a, this, a stunning surprise. Uh, you know, first of all, you got this epic Michael Jackson sample. I, I, I can't even believe that they got it cleared. I don't even want to think about what it costs to clear it. Yeah. But to get something that prominent and the flip is is so amazing. And then, you know, on top of that, you got Kendrick Lamar and his first verse of the year and sounding, you know, um, you know, sounding uh, great and just the, the chemistry the two of those have, two of those guys have um is, is phenomenal here. So 
a lot and I left off a bunch of tracks that are just killers on this which is why you know I do call it a classic I, I think there are probably 15 like tracks that I could have spotlight spotlight for this um features you know we talked about a lot of them Pete Rock Chris Rock uh Rakim Anderson Pack. I didn't even mention it but he's got another great song on this Ross Q-Tip he's got M.O.P. Old Dirty Bastard you know is featured on the album Mariah Carey Mary J. Blige and Rhapsody once again so it's a and Kendrick, of course, but it's it's an incredible album. Uh, producers, all star lineup of producers. You got Busta also producing a lot, and this is the thing that I learned in doing the research for this is that so many of these MCs are actually controlling their own sounds, mm-hmm. which is great to hear. And I don't think it's a surprise that that these guys can uh, produce the best songs for themselves. They know their sound, how they'll fit on different tracks. And so, but to have the technical skill, the work they had to put in for that is pretty impressive. Not, um, Swiss beats. Who's also had his hand in a lot of pots, uh, this year, uh, Jay Dilla. He got a great Dilla beat, uh, Pete Rock, Rock Wilder, DJ Stratz, DJ Premier, high tech, Anderson Pack actually produced the song and ninth wonder. I mean, just like an all-star lineup. And, you know, I think that um, this is Buster Rhymes' magnum opus in his career. I agree with you. And I think that, you know, there's so much that could be said. You know, Buster has admitted that in the time, I think very recently, like in the last couple of years, he damn near, um, you know, had a life and death experience, you know, with his breathing. And you talk about where does he breathe on the song. So he's in full tact. And, you know, he never... This album's been in the works for so many years that it's not, again, like Busta could have planned that 2020 would be this way. And I know you and I both said, well, why did he follow up ELE? You know, of all the albums in his catalog, why is this the one to make a sequel on? I think now that it's out, it makes perfect sense. And to read some of the interviews that Busta's done about it, um, this feels like the level of quality album making that I feel like we got in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's very big budget. It has that feel. And for a guy who's been down with, you know, Clive Davis and Dr. Dre and Aftermath and Cash Money for a period, to, for this to be Busta's independent debut, it amazes me because it feels bigger and more polished than so many of those associations he's had in the past. Yeah, and his, his first album, Post Chris Lighty, who was such yeah. an important force in his career uh, creatively, uh, for it to have taken 12 years to craft and for yeah. him to put that much time and that much weight on it. And just, there's a lot to be said about this album. It's, it's really good. Busta could have very easily gone into being a legacy artist. You know, one of these guys like, you know, Slick Rick, who's held in the highest regard, but doesn't necessarily make new albums. And instead Busta made his magnum opus uh, 11 years after his last album. So, you know, I agree with everything you said, man. Um, next up, Deontay Hitchcock with Better. Um, this is another artist that might not be on a lot of folks' radars. Um, Deontay is, is, you know, Greater Atlanta um, native. He worked on the Grammy-nominated uh, Revenge of the Dreamers 3 last year. Um, you know, and as somebody that's just been kind of making noise as, as New Atlanta, um, one of our contributors, uh, JG, Jacob, put me on, uh, he put me on, he put Deontay on my radar in 2017 with a joint called thinking about you that I couldn't stop playing. This guy just had his own sound. It was, it was distinctly Southern, but um, it just sounded, you know, you know what I always describe Deontay Hitchcock is he's one of those artists that you hear in an episode of insecure and then have to hit Shazam or look up on the playlist after Mm -hmm. there's something. and, And this is all true of better. 
very contemporary, very, um, you know, youthful spirited, but also relatable, you know, um, and I didn't realize it until researching for this conversation. This album came out on Mark Pitts's by storm label, which is through RCA and Mark Pitts is somebody who was very instrumental in a lot of the success that bad boy had in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, a very respected hip hop executive. Um, and RCA is a label is putting out some of the most interesting hip hop and R&B right now. So key tracks, um, I Got Money, which is a collaboration with J.I.D. And J.I.D. and Deontay are definitely contemporaries of each other. They both have ties to Spillage Village. Um, and that's the joint with the mini Ripperton uh, sample that we've heard time and time again through hip hop. But this one, they freak it a little differently. And it's watching an artist who's paid his dues and the independent underground kind of starting to reap the benefits of becoming a star. Um, you know, on the other side, you have a joint called Growing Up Mother God, which, you know, you talk about two songs in one or beat changes. This one is just dense songwriting, you know, talking about the women in his life with blunt honesty. And, um, you know, again, this, this level of artist to audience conversation isn't something that I feel like we necessarily expect from a lot of contemporary Atlanta artists very much reminds me of ATL Eon's era outcast, you know, that way of just like, yo, I'm bearing my soul to you over this beat. And the other key track for me is flashbacks, which is a Miguel collaboration with another artist, St. Beauty. Um, but this album is just a really refreshing listen from an artist that I'm still getting to know. And again, another artist that's not terribly controversial um, yes, he's down with Dreamville and Spillage Village, um, but he's not an artist that's used those associations to necessarily force, him, force his way onto the radar. Um, just a really, really enjoyable listen. Other guests besides J.I.D. and Miguel, Black is on here, um, and Young Nudie. And what's interesting is, you know, we've seen this uh, some other places. Later in the year, Deontay and RCA re-released better with a bunch more songs, which has Reason on it, you know, who he worked with on the Dreamville joint, uh, Guap Dad 4000, which, you know, great artists, and Kenny Mason. But what I considered, this made my list that I keep all along when it came out. So I kind of look at the first iteration of it. And one of the things I have to say for as versatile as the sounds are, I had no idea until prepping that it's one producer. It's a guy named Brandon Phillips Taylor, who Deontay Hitchcock has worked with since the onset of his career. And it's a case sort of like Hit Boy, where there's songs on the, on the album that are sample based. There's some that aren't, but it all blends together. Um, just a really, really enjoyable listen that I believe that, you know, we're going to watch Deontay stay around for a mighty long time. And yes, there's EPs and one-offs before this, but this is... This is where you watch him leave the runway and start to become things. We've seen that with Rhapsody. We've seen that with J.I.D. We've seen that with Loot. Um, I can go on and on, Buddy, Boogie, et cetera. But this is the one to watch. Yeah, man. Um, all this is making me miss liner notes. Yeah. Uh, it, used to be, it used to be that this is the kind of thing that I would know about every single album I'd listen to. You know, I'd get mm -hmm. the CD. I'd listen to it while flipping through the, the booklet, you know, looking at the pictures, Know, figuring out who the producers were with each song uh, and seeing these patterns because it actually leads you down rabbit holes that like you know produce great results 
I had no idea that Mark Pace was affiliated with this, but it makes sense, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the big connection, big connection and bad boy and all the, you know, phenomenal things he's done over the years. It does not surprise me that someone like him would put out something, a project of this quality. Um, you know, I did not know that it was one producer. Um, that's amazing too. And, you know, to hear um, that I, I want to keep my, um, I want him to stay on my radar too, because I love the production in this. Um, it's interesting that you say you use Insecure because I think that it is, you know, one of the few shows left that still focuses on putting out great music and understands the importance of a great soundtrack to accompany great video storytelling. I think it's critical. And there are lots of things that I shazam from that and just love that sound. It also sounds distinctly new West Coast to me. Uh, and even though Deontay Hitchcock doesn't fit that, it's, it's also kind of, uh, I don't want to use, you know, the term bohemian because I think it brings connotations that I'm not trying to convey, but just not put in a box, um, which I think Deontay fits, artistic, uh, original, and thought and presentation. I think that he represents all those things, as does Insecure and the music that it curates. Um, you know, to your point, uh, this is another person I'm very proud of, and I'm proud of this list so far and our ability to put lots of artists that people haven't heard of and make bold choices and get behind an artist that I also agree is going to be around for a long time. And, um, you know, I think it's important for us to put our historical kind of flag in the ground for these artists uh, when they're getting started, you know, like a Duckworth, like, you know, other people you mentioned, uh, because I do think they're going to be around for a long time. And, you know, I'm glad to be able to have a stake in, you know, in helping them with their move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Words. So uh, another person next up is Problem, who is an artist that I've supported like that now for 10 years or so. Um, West Coast artist, um, like a Don Kennedy, has always kind of been on the cusp of blowing up and did have like a breakout song with like what and like uh, that song <laughs> still tear up the club to this day. Uh, but never uh, achieved the success of like, you know, some of the TDE stars like, like J-Rock or a Kendrick or Schoolboy Q or others, but has always kind of got that consistent lane, you know, and um, I've been a big fan. And so shout out to Keisha Shante. Uh, Keisha was a co-host on 106 and Park, who's now a host on Entertainment Tonight, I believe, in Canada. A friend of mine, we worked together back in the day. I was looking at her Instagram stories in... Um, I guess it was like September or so. And I heard this Snoop verse and I was like, yo, what is this? It's, this is dope. Like, and, um, you know, I didn't know what it was. So I just went and Googled the lyrics because if, if you can't Shazam something, you can't Shazam when it's on your phone, you use your phone. So uh, I just listened to the lyrics and put in, you know, Snoop and the lyrics and it popped up and it wasn't a Snoop song. It turned out to be a problem song. I was like, yo, this is dope. Like, how did I miss this? And um, then I uh, saw, oh, Problem just dropped a project um, this weekend. And so I went and listened to it, Coffee and Kush Volume 2. Um, and it was front to back incredible. Um, you know, not too long, I think in 40 to 50 minute range. Um, I, I think it's one of the best albums of the year, one of Problem's best albums. I think certainly his best material since Rosecrans, uh, his joint project with DJ Quick, which you and I both love. Yeah. And maybe even his best since Welcome to Mollywood Part Two, which is back in 2012. 
uh, just a ton of like great songs on this, you know, um, song called Just Outside, which is, I'm a huge G-Funk fan. Uh, you know, I've, I've never made that a secret. Um, and this is 2020 G-Funk at its best. Um, Family Ties too, to your point about Shade Noir and storytelling, which is I think a, a rare and rare art form yeah. in hip hop. This is a great story. It's, it's tragic, it's a tough story to hear about uh, cycles that aren't broken um, in terms of like, you know, um, young black kids growing up without fathers um, because they're in prison and then ending up, you know, kind of repeating their father's footsteps. And so um, it's, a, it's a tough, but very compelling story to hear. Uh, he has a song called Nothing, which features Jack Harlow, who I think is a, a breakout success of the year. I think he's labeled and like, uh, I'll, throw your, <laughs> I'll put your, your shade aside. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's labeled as being um, in a, a specific box, pop, you know, and with what's popping and like, you know, white rapper. But I believe has shown himself to be an incredibly skilled MC. Um, he had a standout verse in the cypher. Um, uh, standout um, song with Tyler Hero. His album just came out this past weekend. Uh, spoiler alert, did not make the cut of, of the list for me, and I suspect not you unless you're going to throw a wild card in here. No. Um, and he doesn't really have a verse on that out, on, on this song. He's more on the on the hook, which is great. Um, but who does who have a verse and um, who was an MC who was not that present this year, but when he did appear he left lasting impact is J-Rock. J-Rock has a minute long verse and just destroys it. Like, I mean, it, it, Rock is just, you know, and Rock has always been, he's the guy who brought me into TDE, you know, um, and I connect personally, just a great guy in general. Uh, but, and it's so great, great to see him and his ascension, you know, um, because he started kicking things off for TDE and Kendrick kind of blew up and then Rock came back with like, um, with Wynn and, and that album. Um, but it just this verse is incredible. Um, and he's also, and, you know, so that that's a great song. And, and, and you know, obviously it's featured with Lockdown too, but those were my two favorite rock verses this year. And then the song that really got me into this album is the Don't Be Mad At Me remix. And it's, uh, it's um, on Coffee and Kush Volume 1, the original appears, and the remix adds Freddie Gibbs and Snoop. And Snoop, you know, sounding like you know, vintage um, bought Big Boss Dog sounds great. And volume one was this year, right? Volume one was this year as well. Uh, you know, very um, good, and then yeah. to its credit, yeah, yeah. And then uh, so key features are Snoop and Freddie Gibbs, um, Jack Harlow, Tyrese, who was on a track, and then Terrace Martin, and the producers, um, you know, problem once again handles the lion's share of the production you know this is what amazes me again and again about this year is again you know the mcs that took the reins themselves uh don cannon is also a producer um you know in terms of the impact this i think will have for his career um problem might not ever have that massive breakout you know again uh he might not ever be that guy who's like dominating top 40 radio or in the clubs but he's always going to have a core audience, a dedicated listenership. And if he keeps delivering top show product like this, he's got a you know, career for as long as he wants it. It's great to see. I mean, I didn't, you, this was one by virtue of your discovery experience you put on my radar. And I remember it was a Saturday, you texted me in the morning and I had something to do. And I literally put this album on and pushed back those plans just so I could listen to it with focus. 
and problem came onto my radar, you know, as kind of the Travis Scott, you know, one of these muses, producer, MCs in Snoop's camp at the beginning of the decade. Um, and then we obviously, you know, he's been on these lists before by virtue of Rosecrans with Quick, but to now watch Problem on his own two feet, do it his way um, is great. And, and this album is coming in part through Rostrum Records, which is, you know, the label um, started out of my hometown of Pittsburgh, but, you know, responsible for introducing Wiz and Mac. So to watch them take an artist who's well-established and put him in position for this kind of great is, is also cool to see, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is one of my albums of the year. I went on this podcast and, and gave it um, the crown. Um, that was before Busta. And, and certainly, you know, I'll say, Benny, if, if I have three albums of this 20, it's Busta, Benny, and Royce. Um, but Benny the Butcher, the burden of proof, burden of proof. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal record. And, you know, this one is another entirely produced by Hit Boy. Um, after Ultra Black, you and I started to talk about the prospects of what Hit Boy and Benny could sound like. And I know that I was a little bit cold on the idea. You know, I, I have the utmost respect for Hit Boy. He's got classic records in his catalog. But, you know, Benny is somebody who's talent I trust in the hands of Derringer, Beat Butcher, Alchemist, kind of that core that he's worked with. And what he did was make something that I find to be um, very unique and a part of that without compromising, without chasing or pandering. Um, You know, this album to me, I, I kind of would describe it and I have to my friends when I tell them to check it out. It's very much a derivative of both Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt as, um, as well as Teflon Don by Rick Ross. Like it's got that kind of um, hustler mentality, but a, a very sample-based, um, interesting, and I don't mean the big singles of Teflon Don either, but a really interesting canvas of, of beats. And it's short, and, it's short and sweet. You know, key tracks for me are, um, you know, the opener, the title track, Burden of Proof. You mentioned, you mentioned the bars from Nas. Um, the bar that has stuck with my head is literally the, the, the couplet that opens the album. You know, um, last year was about branding. This year is about expanding. Like, I think when Benny said that, I, I locked in the seatbelt. And, you know, so many albums this year have been more subdued, more cerebral, um, this is not like Busta energy, but this album is, is more pepped up than a lot. And I've really, that's been a nice contrast to a lot of these slow and heavy records. Other joints that I like are the Rick Ross feature, Where Would I Go? Which, um, you know, Ross, sort of like J-Rock, has, has smoked a few features this year. That one, I mean, these guys sound great together. And I'm sure there's pockets of Benny fans that might shun or poo-poo that idea, but I think he's proving um, how he can kind of get in where he fits in with anyone. The same way, you know, throughout the late 90s, early 2000s, we saw that with Jay. We see that with E-40. You see that at times with Raekwon. So shout out to that. And, you know, you put it on the playlist. And again, I admit my flaws. I was cooled on the track at first, but it's come full circle to me. Um, Timeless with Big Sean and Lil Wayne. I just think that's as good of a collaboration as you're going to find this year. Um, What Sean does with his verse is, um, you know, really remarkable. And you and I talked, he had to have recorded it just days before the album came out because it seemed in part 
response to some of the things that Kanye had been tweeting. Um, and Wayne, although I know he's not having by any measure uh, his greatest year, both legally and maybe in the court of public opinion, um, I thought Wayne did exactly what he does so well on this. And, you know, on paper, this song might sound a little jarring um, when you press play. It's just, a, like I said, it's a winning collabo. So I was beyond impressed. Um, it's, it's a really, really tight joint. And to watch an MC in his mid-30s continue to climb and escalate and develop his career is, is just super refreshing. And um, yeah, I think this is Hit Boy's best batch of beats this year. I, I think it sounds more exciting than the Nas album. That's not to discredit it. But when, when Hit Boy's mentioned in the producer of the year conversations, I think this is the one to go by. Um, sounds great in the car, great in the gym. It's just uh, give Benny all his damn flowers, man, because this is by no means his first great album, but I think it, it, it's a new level. Yeah, you know, a lot of people that weekend at this drop were calling this the album of the year. And so, um, you know, I definitely um, don't short you for, for making that claim at the time. It is a phenomenal piece for, for Benny. You know, The Plugs I Met was one of my favorite projects last year. Um, I think Benny is incredible talent. For me, this was a quantum leap for him because just like uh, Pray for Paris repositioned Gun Sound, this to me repositioned Benny Sound and made him poised to become more mainstream. Like, you know, I didn't know that anyone in Griselda could be a top 40 artist. But I do believe now that Benny can be without compromising, without sacrificing his sound. I think very few, I remember listening to Wiz Khalifa, um, who I loved during the Christian OJ days and his mixtape days. And Black and Yellow was pretty jarring to me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, you're not a Steeler fan either, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but beyond that, it was jarring, as was, um, you know, the Big Sean stuff, too, because yeah. Big Sean's mixtapes, like... Um, I, my, my worst or whatever it is like uh, that the song with chris brown was very pop you know very mm -hmm. top 40 same with wale you know those guys when they went for radio went hard and i think abandoned their sounds to some degree um kendrick um by contrast and j cole i think have done a phenomenal job of reaching that mainstream level success without compromising their sound and this to me was uh, what will become the bridge record for Benny to do so. You know, it's not completely abandoning the underground sound. It's not completely embracing the commercial sound, but it's straddling the line somewhere in between. And I think it'll be a great connector when all is said and done. Yeah. And I mean, you know, all of Griselda is so prolific, as is so many artists just by necessity these days, that Benny can continue to give the core. And that's not to make Derringer and, and his core sound, um, you know, seem sub but within that you can show these other growth movements and you're absolutely right like that's exactly what pray for paris is for gun too i think that's well said i also you know just i mentioned those features hit boy appears on the vocal side for a second and uh queen nija and then i also want to give it up to dom kennedy who you mentioned a moment ago dom you know was present on games album last year but dom i feel like is poised for a comeback of sorts you know dom like problem never quite measured up to the potential that we were promised a year ago or a decade ago, excuse me. But Dom is proving that he's taken this time, gotten better and better. And that, that joint on Benny's album is just, that's as dope as Dom has sounded to me, uh, you know, since 2012. Yeah, no, it's great. 
and just random aside, you mentioned Lil Wayne and his year. Like a friend of mine had an interesting theory that maybe the reason why he cozied up to Trump um, at the time of the election was so that he might get that pardon, um, knowing you know what he was facing. But you know, that's uh, interesting. We'll discuss that on a, on a future podcast. But um, uh, next up is an, a mainstream MC, and uh, by my count, probably the most mainstream we've discussed thus far. And that's Two Chains. Uh, his album, So Help Me God. Um, you know, to me, Two Chains, uh, who faced off against Rick Ross this year in Burgess, and was uh, you know one of those cultural touchstones. They have a lot of similarities. I think neither one of them, both of them, kind of the Rodney Dangerfields of rap. They don't get the respect that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, for all y'all old heads like me out there who get that reference. Um, As MCs, you mean, right? As MCs, yes, Uh, you know, they have commercial success, but they're both, they can both spit, they they can both rap, you know, Um, and I don't think that people, because they do have such mainstream success, give him the proper shine, give them the proper shine. Uh, They also have been some of the most consistent MCs in the game for the last 15 years. I mean, these guys pretty consistently deliver an album every year. And every single year, uh, it might not be the best album of the year, but it's got great tracks. It's one of the best. It stands in in the discussion, um, you know. And Chains, I think, lives up to that time and time again um, and delivers. Um, and this album does the same. Um, key tracks, Moneymaker, you know, to mention Lil Wayne again. He and Lil Wayne take Guy's Piece of My Love and, um, you know, the, the producer flips it up and makes it into a bounce cut in a really dope way. Uh, I think it's always tough to take those classic records and, and flip them. It's got to be, you know, something that's different, but doesn't just destroy the integrity of it. And I think that this does that. And he and Wayne uh, ride that track really, really well. Feel Away with Brent Fires um, uh, and Kanye West, you know, Brent Fires, I hadn't heard in a while, and he sounds good. Um, another shout out to that Gold Link record um, that like brought me in. Um, but Two Chains may have gotten the best Kanye verse of the year too. Kanye yeah. goes, you know, straight at his slavery comments and was like super controversial, but also thought provoking. Um, and you know, it just it's yay sounding inspired in a way I hadn't heard him sound on the track in a while. Um, Southside Hove is um, Two Chains' supposed last attempt and third attempt at getting Jay Z to rap on a track, but it's his ode to Hove, and it's got two you know Jay Z references. One is um, you know the 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 core the hook has got like remnants of, of feeling it uh, from Reasonable Doubt, and then um, the track itself has elements of Dead Prez from Reasonable Doubt too. And so like he was trying hard to get help, like, you know, taking him back to that time, but it's two chains given his version of his coming up story. Um, Vampire is uh, real talk about jealous ones still envying, you know, um, chains getting in there and kind of talking about, it sounds um, autobiographical to me. I'm not sure if it is, but it sounds like very real, the kind of things that he's discussing on that. And then YRB, um, which again, Rick Ross, you know, making another um, key feature. Um, you know, so the features on this, it's very, very mainstream as you might expect. Some, um, some unexpected um, appearances, but it's Wayne, Rick Ross, 
Young Boy Never Broke, Kanye, Chief Keef, who also produces on the album, Ty Dolla Sign, Lil Uzi Vert, and notably not Jay-Z, you know. Um, yeah. And then in terms of producers, Mike Dean is a producer. I'm not sure if, if you realize that. Street Runner, Cool and Dre, David Banner produces on this, this project. And like I said, Chief Keef, which was surprising to me. Um, As a producer, Keef. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so, and in terms of longevity, it just, it's just another, like, you know, another solid album in the Two Chains catalog that is, like, ever um, expansive and ever impressive. Next up, I believe that's me. Um, yeah. Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist Alfredo, which definitely, um, you know, we, we, when the Grammy nominations were announced, we posted on Instagram asking people what they thought. And a lot of folks went hard for this album. You know, I think that, you know, Freddie Gibbs last year set a really high bar with Bandana with Mad Lib. I mean, you know, I know he already did with Pinata, but I feel like in the last year or two, really since um, Fetty, which is kind of the precursor to this project, which was an album that Alchemist produced, and was emceed by Gibbs and Currency. Um, you know, Gibbs has stated that there was a little bit of some differences creatively or something with Currency. So here they reemerge, just the two of them with Alfredo. Fetty, Alfredo, uh, you can be hungry for lunch now. But um, <laughs> this is, you know, I don't think Gibbs deviates from the lyrical content of Bandana at all or, you know, Fetty at all. I mean, Gibbs is just in stride right now. I mean, he's one of those guys that says things that, you know, kind of shock you at times that, you know, he'll say them, but that blunt honesty is what makes Gangsta Gibbs great. So that carries right into this. And Alchemist has had this really prolific year, which, you know, in addition to all of his placements on these great albums that we're talking about, you know, put out a short album with Conway early in the year, and then a joint that we're going to talk about in a second with Boldy James. And sort of like we were saying with Apollo, I mean, Alchemist has a consistent core sound, but each of those somehow feel different. Um, he made Gibbs sound great. It's a totally different step from Mad Lib while still being a little bit smoked out, quite dusty, that feel. But Gibbs is just in his bag. Um, you know, the same pocket of artists. You mentioned Boldy and his ties to Griselda. Gibbs right now, um, and I didn't mention Gibbs's incredible feature on, on Benny's album, but Gibbs is, is very much like in this this circle of artists that includes Griselda and a few others. Um, so you've got Conway, you've got Benny, you've got Rick Ross on the album and you've got Tyler. Um, and the key joints uh, are Babies and Fools, the Conway collabo, Skinny Shug, which is one of uh, Gibbs's many aliases for himself and the Benny collabo, Frank Lucas. But um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think we all felt that Bandana, when I say we all, a lot of our readers, Bandana was what the readers decided was the album of the year for 2019. Um, and while I, I hold that one on a special pedestal, I think this just shows that Gibbs is one of those MCs that's capable of being prolific without compromising quality. Um, so just a really good listen. And, and another case, I mean, so many of these joints we're talking about are one producer, one MC. It's kind of interesting how we've gotten back to that in recent years, but um Man, I mean, I will be uh, highly entertained if if uh, these guys who are both as funny as they are talented go to the Grammy podium together, uh, you know, in January or February, whenever it is. But it's yeah. definitely on my list. 
wouldn't that be crazy? Uh, you know, once again, Alchemist, right? He just had such an amazing year. Um, My producer of the year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a nice segue into the last album on which we agree, which is Holy <laughs> James and The Alchemist, you know. Um, the album is called The Price of Tea in China. Boldy had a really prolific year this too, uh, uh, this year too. Uh, he had four albums. Um, he had Real Bad Boldy, the Versace tape, which is the Griselda project you mentioned. Um, he's got Manager on McNichols, which is an experimental album with um, Sterling Tolls, uh, you know, uh, which is you know, um, very interesting to listen to. And then this project with the Alchemist. Um, you know, all are good, uh, really good. I encourage everyone to go and check out all, all three of those projects, but this to me is the best of all four. And Alchemist has Boldy James sounding as good as he ever has. And so I, I first was put on to Boldy James by Pete Bittenbender, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Mass Appeal. You know, he signed Boldy, and this, dude, I think this is like 2008, 2009, something like that, maybe 2010, 11. But, and they're still uh, Decon? Yeah, and they're still Decon, yeah. Mm. And um you know and boldy um you know i didn't really grab my ear at the time you know i didn't really connect with him and, but he's changed his flow over time he's gotten more um you know raspy more deep voiced uh and slower with his flow too and in a lot of ways his rem earl Swartzshirt has made a similar kind of move you know mm. um and rhyming over dusty grooves is I think, you know, the sweet spot for, for both of them. You know, key tracks for me, and one of these is on the, um, the playlist, and I would say one of my top five songs of the year, which is Surf and Turf, which meant Staples. Um, that song just like, it just like, is so rugged, you know, and his, his flow is so cold. And then Scrape the Bowl, uh, song with Benny. This one I didn't, hadn't even put on the playlist um, because I, I was worried. I think I'd put three or something songs on there and I don't like to overload with one particular artist. But you sent it as your song of the day not too long ago. And I was like, yo, like, I, I, you know, forgotten about that. But Sinister. It's yeah. devastating and it's minimalism. And that's exactly the, the, the term I had to describe, which is sinister soul, mm -hmm. which is, you know, classic alchemist. And Benny and Boldy, I think, should make an album together. So, you know. If we're really going to have that Griselda fusion, I think the two of them would be phenomenal with an album together. And then Great October with Evidence, who had an, uh, a few other key features this year. It's very melancholy and introspective, um, as is a lot of Alchemist music too, and then Belvedere. And you got Vince and Benny and Gibbs and Evidence on the album. And again, Alchemist is the producer uh, taking the reins on the entire thing. And, you know, I think when people look back, this is going to be one of the albums that Boldy is remembered for. Yeah, I've heard Bodie's name a lot over the years. Like you, I mean, Nas was very excited about him when they rebranded in the Mass Appeal. And I thought Bodie had his moments, but I never thought he measured up to his um, potential. And this is really interesting because there's changes made. There's evolution there. And this album, um, you know, I mentioned my big three. If I expand to five, this is in there. And man, just, uh, and, and it's one of those albums, again, I'm glad we have this list because it's one of those albums that I feel like so many lists are so, you know, Q3 and four heavy. You can forget what comes out in January and February. And this was an album that we posted about when the site was in daily operation mode. And, um, you know, I'm really proud to help champion that, you know. Word. So those are the 14 albums on which we agree. My sleeves are rolled up. My sleeves are rolled up. Now it's time yeah. to get into it. Now it's time to, yeah. to, to mix it up. 
and figure out what's going to round out our top 20. So um, Jake has six that he uh, is going to vouch for, and I have six that I'm going to make my case for. And the first one, I think, is going to be really surprising to people that I didn't have it on my initial list. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you kick that off? Yeah, so there's that line in the movie Zoolander where he talks about Sting. He's like, you know, people, I don't really listen to his music, but I think he's great. I feel like we've gotten to that place with Black Thought. I think, I think as a culture, people trip out over Tariq's features, you know, and we've mentioned his, his name a few times. He's, he's dropped some crazy features this year. But I feel like when it comes around time to him releasing albums, now that he got the first one or two out of the way, this album went under the radar. So Black Thought, Streams of Thought 3, Cain and Abel, produced entirely by Sean C. With a little bit of help in some places, including his partner LV. Um, this album is great. And one of, you know, I've lived in Philly since 2002. Um, I sometimes upset people when I say that my favorite Roots album is Game Theory. I love the Roots in the 90s, but I, I really enjoyed watching their progression in the mid to late 2000s. They started making um, darker, more electronic music and bringing in some outside vocalists. I think, I think Thought took a similar turn with this album. Um, you know, he's got the, the, Artful, the Last Artful Dodger and Portugal the Man, um, both kind of non-hip-hop artists on there playing crazy roles. And he's made songs. I mean, these have deeper structures to them. Um, and my favorite, you know, everyone, um, everyone really seemed to go crazy over the collaboration with Killer Mike, Pusha T, um, which is on the playlist. Um, tell me the name of that joint. I'm just pulling it up. Killer Mike and Pusha T. Um, yeah, uh, I'll find it. Keep oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, Good Morning yeah, with yeah. Swiss Beats too. But my favorite songs in the album are the ones where, you know, the, the rapping is isolated to thought, you know, magnificent. Um, Nature of the Beast, which fits into that. He really captured the spirit of 2020. Um, and even though there's choruses and melodies, you still look at the rhyme schemes there and it's thought doing exactly what he has done for damn near 30 years. Um, I just feel like this is a sleeper album and we love to talk about, you know, thought being one of the goats, but I feel like his solo art sometimes gets dusted under the rug and this dropped the same week as T.I., the same week as Benny, which again, to our point a moment ago, surprised a lot of people. And if you're not, if you're not being talked about in the week or week after that you drop, I think you can get kind of, kind of pushed under the rug. Yeah. You know, so it won't surprise me if in the end uh, we end up um, agreeing on this and including it. I'll tell you why I didn't. It's because um, Black Thought is one of my favorite MCs, definitely top 10, potentially top five for me. Um, you know, he's just like an MC that I love. Uh, but I'm starting to feel like um, um, he has one speed, you know, like um, I, I haven't heard a ton of diversity in his, um, his rhymes. And for me, um, he put out a lot of product this year. Um, and I was glad to have it, but I didn't know that it surpassed some of the other things that like I had on my list. So first up that I'm going to argue for is Static Selector, the balancing act. And, you know, we just had Static on the podcast last week. Static has put out, um, you know, a number of albums over the years. To me, I think this is my favorite um, 
of all the solo joints he's re released and he's had some great stuff like he's had some real bangers out there but this one has a really nice balance you know pun intended um you know throughout uh it's you know got a, a, like it's very cohesive and consistent it's got phenomenal artists on it you know you got tracks like keep it moving with Nas and joey badass and then gary clark jr and gary you know um flips the walk on by uh guitar mm -hmm. lick and you know um Nas and joey are sounding like in top form uh, you know, hard living. He's got Dave East sounding as good as I've ever heard Dave sounding, and he and Meth are, are great together. Um, you know, time. Jack Harlow, my guy, now your guy. Um, my song on the album. Yeah, yeah, is an amazing song. Substantively, his flow is pristine. Um, he opens up and you know talks about some pretty deep stuff. America is canceled, uh, featuring Jada Kiss, Styles P, and terminology really digs into the issues that have confronted us this year and takes a hard and cynical look at uh, America. Um, Welcome to the game. Give shine to Lushen on MCs like Marlon Craft and, you know, I know a guy who you support, just culture the, the friend, you know, and it, it features Black Thought and, not, and you know, Benny and Conway and Two Chains, Two Chains yeah. and Killer Mike and Paul Wall and Evidence and Blue and Nick Grant and Bun B and Havoc. I mean, it's just loaded with with artists. And then in terms of producers, you know, obviously it's static on all the tracks, but like he murdered it. Like yeah. every track is, is super dope. So um, what's up, Theo? Making his cameo. Finally, yeah, man. Uh, missed it, man. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think when people go back, they're going to look at this album and be like, damn. And so um, to me, this album is, you know, uh, one of Static's best and one of the best of the year. And so, yeah. So, Stay with uh, me. I'm having a little technical difficulty. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. My, my dog is very usually quiet. But, yeah. Uh, we, are in, we are in so new good. surroundings. Yeah, um, somebody black outside or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked up. I know. <laughs> I, know. Um, <laughs> I know how the deal is, man. I, um... Yeah, no. Nah. Uh, <laughs> I have no, I agree with everything you said with Static, and this is actually the most I've enjoyed his album of the last few, and I think it's just an enjoyable, really enjoyable listen, and now more than ever, I appreciate somebody that can get all of hip-hop together in one place, and as you ran in that cross-section of features, so I have no qualms. It was just one of those cases when I made my list, I was like, damn, this one's really close, and I had to kind of Sophie's Choice it. Um, my next album is uh, a friend of Sky Zoo or friend of Static Sky Zoo, um, Sky Zoo and Dumbo Station, the bluest note. So you know, two years ago we got on here and we started looking at you know 19 minute albums from Pusha T or Kid Cudi and Kanye, and really we kind of ended this EP album conversation the same way that years ago we kind of crossed out mixtape album lines. Um, you know, Sky. I feel like is in top stride right now. You know, last year he and Pete Rock made Retropolitan, which was incredible. Um, and Sky put out two projects this year, with this being one of them. And Dumbo Station is a jazz band. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's two guys, but it's all live instrumentation from what I understand. And it just sounds really, really good. Uh, their names are Benjamin Ventura and Jesse Germano, if I'm saying that correctly. One of my favorite songs of the year is We Used to Live in Brooklyn, Baby, which is, you know, Sky and Dumbo Station. 
taking the Roy Ayers classic and applying it to gentrification. And, you know, Sky is one of the most proudly New York, proudly Brooklyn MCs um, of recent memory. And for those that know, I mean, he said it in, in places on his songs. I mean, he's moved away um, to raise a family and focus on his career and to watch him look back at this place that means so much to him and almost feeling like treated like an outsider. Um, it's just very resonant. And I'm watching, you know, Philly change and I'm watching a lot of silly, silly love that joint. And of course, I mean, I love the Roy Ayers original, you know, give and take is another song. There's only six on the album. Um, it's a very short project, but it's, to me, there's no misses, but give and take is one of those songs that's about relationships that I think just nails it. And sky talks about, you know, how opposites attract, but he does it in a really dope way. And so often, you know, love songs can seem corny. Um, you still hear me? Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is one that I just feel like people could dismiss as a short project or, you know, it doesn't get the, the recognition that it deserves. But for me, um, you know, at a time when we, we appreciate consistency brevity and concentration in one place this album beckons to be on the list and it doesn't have the fanfare of sky working with apollo or pete or ill mind but he's a jazz aficionado to watch him kind of make a jazz you know project and the bluest note quite obviously setting the theme for that i didn't expect to like it quite as much as i did and it's one of those that i want to fight for for its recognition you know sky is a guy that i've been supporting for probably 11 years now, supported him um, from AFA, on AFH, I've supported him on the BET level, um, I've done showcases, the whole nine. Um, you know, it's been amazing to watch his career progress. You know, you and I both loved that Pete Rock joint last year. He always has interesting collabos, interesting concepts. So it's hard for me to argue against him, you know. Um, next up on my list is Logic, your guy, your, uh, your favorite MC. I'm, yeah. I'm not you a sandbagging. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, there's no pressure, uh, which is the name of the album, but uh, also no pressure, but like I'm going to put a little pressure on you. So Logic set this up as his last album. I'm very dubious of that. You know, you and I always kind of eye roll whenever MCs say that they're retiring because like, first of all, why say it? Like, you know, forever is a mighty long time to quote Prince and um, you know, you know, it wouldn't surprise me for him to come back, you know, sooner rather than later. But I do think this is a fitting way to close the loop to Under Pressure, you know, his debut album. I think that this is very consistent with that sound and the formula that he put forth on that album and many of the albums in between. If you're a Logic fan, post mixtapes, because like uh, some of the other artists we've mentioned, I think his sound has evolved over time and it's different than his mixtape sound. But if you are a fan of Logic from that post mixtape era, I think this is that formula that it's not, it doesn't stray far from that formula. It's a good formula. The beats are dope and his flow is consistent. For me, and I mentioned this earlier, the thing that I really love is there are a number of tracks with uh, beat changes. You know, um, when I start to think about key tracks, you know, GP4 is an ode to Outcast Elevators. You know, he has a lot of songs that reference classic moments in hip-hop on the album, which is another thing that's very familiar to my ear and very digestible for me. Open Mike Aquarius 3, um, it's got elements of the roots, you know, um, you know, in the, in the beginning um, of the track, um, I think it's on, um, uh, 
I think it's the beginning of um, things fall apart. Um, and then um, it's the first in a sequence of, of a long series of really devastating beat changes midway through. Like, in some ways, I think if I could just put the second half of Silence on the playlist, you'd like them better. But I think that part of what makes the second part so good is the beat change, and the first parts are good too. But they're just good lead-ups. Um, and this is where he shines. And the second, when the, when the beat change kicks in, he just blacks out every time. Um, Soul Food too is another beat change. Um, and then, you know, Man I Is has got him over Erica's, uh, Erica Badu's Didn't You Know, and Spotty Odi Dopalicious. This is the second time that, um, actually uh, Logic has wrapped over quite a few Erica beats. You know what Erica, uh, fiend I am, she may be my favorite artist of all time. So when you start to piece it together, he's rapping over stuff that really, really connects to me on a deep level. You know? The playlist um, type. Vibe. Yeah, yeah. Well, not just playlists, but the the the, the sonic references, the outcasts, yeah. the Ericas, you know, um, you know, and it's just his connection to her music that always made me think he was sounding like Kendrick when I first heard Under Pressure. It made me think he was really trying to beat because Kendrick's um, 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 Good Kid, Mad City was very Erica heavy to me, also. But the reality is, Kendrick, Logic, and Erica all three drew from three stacks you know, uh, Outkast. And it's really, um, it's really uh, his homage to Outkast that is appealing to me, uh, both on this album and other albums. You know, he's, the features, he's got Jake, he's got no features on it. He's standing on his 10 toes like J. Cole, which I also think is impressive. I don't know if there's been a single other album we mentioned this entire time where it's just the MC carrying all the weight himself. The one I mentioned himself. is now Sky, but that's a very short project in contrast. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's notable too, you know. And so, um, yeah, man, uh, this and Logic does a lot of the production on this too. I don't know if you know this, but um, Logic is a dope producer, and yeah. I, I tease you. And you know, if there's one artist that I've been critical of on this podcast more than others, it's been Logic. And I say that, you know, when I was the editor in chief of Hip Hop DX, we put Logic on in 2011 or 2012 you know long before no id and def jam and all of that i was a fan of his movement and i think you know he can absolutely wrap his ass off at a high level i don't know you know i get personally frustrated with logic because i think he's a bit of a chameleon um i think he chases what other artists do a lot which you know he certainly isn't the only um mc in hip-hop to do that but it turns a little bit rap fantasy camp. And when I listened to this album, you heard homage. I heard, let me tap into that, you know? And to me, Elevators is a kind of a sacred place. And there's a difference. And, you know, I mean, you know, on one hand, you've got Busta Rhymes that does it with the BVD, you know, the uh, Bell Biv DeVoe joint, you know, in the past the Cavassier, but in other places like Logic, He's just done this a bit much and he's lost a lot of my personal admiration. Um, and I mentioned this in some episodes back when you go and make a record that takes over the world about the suicide hotline and then you make a punchline a year later about ah, stop the 1-800 and then the punchlines kill yourself. I'm just like, you're playing to all sides, man. You're pandering to Good Morning America and then you're turning around and trying to be a punchline guy again. I think it's a well-made album in my list of 20 it's not enjoyable for me. It's just not there. And I don't know that I'm getting much growth from Logic, 
even down to what you said to kind of bookend with his major label debut and a promised retirement, you know, who's to say, maybe we'll never get another logic album again, but you know, from Scarface to too short to the game, we've seen this playbook before and it just feels gimmicky to me. And um, again, I can't, I won't take away from his skills or abilities, but it's just not worth an hour of my time. All right. Tell me how you really feel. (laughs) I'm trying to just keep it a buck because, you know, of, of the albums that we came with, this is the one that I personally vehemently disagree with. And I say that to say this, you know, three years ago, you, if I'm not mistaken, it might've been Amanda, but I believe it was you, Reggie brought it to the table, his album, everybody, which I came around. I was like, damn, this is great. And that was the one that included some of those accolades that he got. And that was a very feature heavy album to the hidden track with J Cole. I thought that was really rich and interesting. This one, you know, I've listened to a handful of times, just not the same stick to your ribs. um, Takeaway. Gotcha. All right. Let's keep it rolling. Yeah. um, D smoke black habits. You know, I've seen some folks push back with this being nominated for the best rap album at the Grammys to me. Um, this album really jumped out at me. I did not watch the Netflix show. I only knew D Smoke as a guy who occasionally appeared um, alongside his brother, Sir. And I knew you had showed me a freestyle that we posted on the site where he, if I'm not mistaken, like other artists have done, Wyclef, et cetera, flips between Spanish and English, but you know, a very nimble, skillful MC. So to watch that um, transfer into a long form album I really, really liked it. Um, and there were songs that I played a lot through this year. Top of the Morning, Closer to God, which is his collaboration with Sir, and Fly with Devion Harris. Um, and Smoke showed to me that he can make songs. I mean, these are songs with choruses and guests. You've got Jill Scott on the album. You've got, you know, like I said, Sir, Ari Lennox. Um, you've also got Snoop on there. It's just, it's a really full-fledged dynamic listen. And, you know, I've heard folks accuse D Smoke of being a plant. I don't necessarily support that. I know, obviously, his brother is Sir, who gets some recognition. I know Netflix helps. But this album, I think, just went criminally under the radar. And it's one that I've been a big believer in. Um, He's got a lot of producers on here. In the interest of time, I won't go through all of them. But Battle Cat, OG from the West Coast, is one of them. Mike and Keys, who have been instrumental in a lot of the new West Coast, are there. And Mars, um, you know, who folks know from Stuff With Game and you've got DK the Punisher. But this album, I just, it's, I've told a, countless people about it. I think as we talk about albums and long form projects, this deserves recognition. You might feel differently. Yeah, man, I've been waiting for this one. Um, first of all, uh, I stand corrected because I've said it's you or a dude who doesn't like R&B. But but listening to this album, you love you some R and B. This is an R and B album, dog. Like this is the most R and B album on any of our lists of this entire year. Like there's a lot of singing, there's R and B beats. Like it is R and not even soul. I mean R and B. Like so, mm-hmm. it's perplexing me that you like it as much as you do, given how R and B intensive it is. So I stand corrected. You love you some R and B. But beyond that. Another question I have for you was, had you watched the Netflix show, Rhythm and Flow? Because um, I loved D Smoke um, in the Netflix show until I found out afterwards that he was Sir's brother. And knowing how the sausage is made 
and a lot of these shows have haven't been in TV. I know a lot of times uh, producers will, and I don't know that this is the case. Um, you know, because you know, I, although I know the producers, I don't know, and I've never asked because I don't want to know. But um, I know that often people will shore up productions like this um, by putting in someone that's good enough to win, even if that person isn't designated as the eventual winner, because they, you have to have someone that people can point to as credible for winning, you know, on the off chance that you get lots of talent that's not that great. As it ends up, that show is incredibly well done, but I thought that it just felt, it cheapened it for me when I learned that he was Sir's brother, you know, because obviously he's got powerful connections, um, you know, he's not just like a guy coming up, you know, off the streets, just, you know, shooting a shot. He's someone who's very connected in that world. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it cheapened it for me. Uh, beyond that, we, we talk about like Kendrick. And to me, it was kind of like a Kendrick light album. They're very, you know, um, you know, very like seeking to be kind of like on a Kendrick TDE sound. And you know, given the expectations I had of him, it felt very formulaic, very paint by numbers to me, you know? Mm. Um, and so, uh, and I listened to it again this morning. Like, um, it took me a long time to even get all the way through it just because, um, well, it's only an hour and two minutes, but it just, it wasn't like, it just never, like, you know, I, I kept trying to be in the right frame of mind, like I talked about with R2, R2J4 but it never came to me. It's just because I just don't like the album that much, you know? Mm. Um, uh, that said, I like D Smoke a lot. I think he's a phenomenal talent, phenomenal artist. And I think that um, for me, this is a lot like J. Cole's first album, first, you know, uh, official album where it's very label um, or um, focused and oriented in A&R. And I think that he once he steps into his own artistry and maybe I'm wrong, right? I don't know how this album was crafted, but I believe once he starts to carve out his own lane and figure out the direction he wants to go in, he's going to come with product that far supersedes this, um, no matter how you slice it. So th that's, that's my thought on the album. I respect what you said. I'm going to end it with a shot and say that, you know, there have, I know, and, and I'm sure you know too, um, there have been cases where, an artist has been signed for months and years before that happens, you know, mm -hmm. before it's announced. When I was at DX, we knew that Yellow Wolf was on Shady and we couldn't report it because it was embargoed. I feel like with Isaiah Rashad, um, there was a lot of folks in the industry that knew that TDE had tapped him. So when he signs to TDE, are you going to come back here and say that this was five mics? <laughs> and i don't know anything i'm just laughing because i do feel like you know this album was a bit of a dark horse for grammy nominations and yes there's the cert connection but uh i don't i'm joking that at d smoke ended up on top dog yeah yeah you know i have a big expectations of him uh this one didn't meet my expectations okay so back over to you yeah, so back to me. Uh, next up is Action Bronson. Uh, you know, it's a huge year for Action Bronson. Um, it's a triumphant return to form for him, both sonically and physically. You know, he's lost 127 pounds and still counting. Looks amazing. He's in the gym. Um, starting to get pretty diesel, actually. Um, this album, to me, is just like a great listen. You know, very consistent. Um, can let it play from front to back. Um, 
just great texture. You know, he comes in swinging from the beginning with Caparera. And a pun intended, that's one that's on our playlist. It's got big horns on the sample. Uh, it's rare reminiscent of like an Earth, Wind & Fire type production. Once again, Action Bronson produces it himself, you know, uh, just showcasing that talent. Um, Latin Grammys, the initial uh, single off of it, sounds straight off a, a black exploitation soundtrack, you know, real soulful, like uh, guitar intensive psychedelic soul um, sample. Derringer, um, you know, is slinging that heat outside of Griselda uh, for Action Bronson on Shredder. You know, only three features on it, Young Mojico, um, Mayhem Lauren, and Hologram. You know, Bronson, again, produces a lot of the songs on it, Harry Fraud, Ant-Man Wonder, Muggs makes a reappearance, and you guessed it, Alchemist, too, you know. I just think that this is an album that will remind people that Bronson is an MC first and foremost. You know, he's gotten known more so the last five or six years as a personality, you know, with his cooking shows and um, the, science, the science fiction shows and things like that. But he's a dope MC. And I think this album showcased that. Yeah. I mean, my dad knows who Action Bronson is because of that that meteoric rise you're talking about. I don't know. I mean, and, and, and Bronson is somebody that I was a ground floor supporter on with, you know, Dr. Lecter and even the J Love mixtapes in the early you know, 09, 2010. This one, I didn't get a lot of growth on. I agree with you that it's, it's really good music, but again, to come to 20 albums, um, Bronson, you know, I, I feel like he did something really special with Mr. Wonderful in 2015 um, and I feel like recently he's just kind of been a little bit in the hamster wheel of making dope music. But when you've been around for a decade, like he has, that can get tedious. Like right now we're sitting in the same place, like celebrating Gunn and Conway and Benny, you know, being prolific. But if they're still making album like albums like this in 10 years, I don't, you know, you get a little bit fatigued. And with Bronson on this particular project, I just didn't get growth like that enjoyable listen i know you enjoyed it more than i did but that was that was where i kind of came with it all right um on my back over to me odyssey odd cure um so this is interesting i mean the backstory of this album which i didn't know until after i was over you know 10 12 listens into it is you know odyssey at the beginning of this year in february was offered a bunch of festival dates due to cancellations in east asia and south asia he accepted as corona you know especially over there was making its way all but one canceled so he does one festival in thailand you know odyssey's a father which those that listen to his albums know and a husband and family man he said you know this can this can help his year immensely so he takes the gig and came back and you know, as we were learning about the science of, of Corona, he quarantined in the studio for what I believe was close to eight weeks um, with just him and an engineer and came out with this project. And, you know, it's, it's one of the first and, and most uh, regimented kind of quarantine albums. He made it in, in Brooklyn in the studio. And again, this is just a project that throughout the year kept making sense with the headspace. I think a lot of the album... Um, kind of deals with fear and the confrontation of fear. Not an upbeat listen, you know, when those songs of Odysseys that you hear in Starbucks and, you know, this is not that. It's it's more cerebral, it's, it's darker, um, but I've enjoyed it a lot. And he kept the cypher small. I mean, produced the whole thing with some musicians um, and his features 
are folks that he's been working with lately, Olivier St. Louis, St. Uh, Ezekiel, Priya Ragu, and Ralph Real. Um, you know, but I've been playing a lot. The the I call it the title track, but The Cure is a joint that has been on heavy repeat for me the last month. Um, Shoot Your Shot and No Skips. Odyssey, just really over the last five years. I mean, and let's not forget, this is an artist that's been around close to 20 years, came up under DJ Jazzy Jeff on The Magnificent, if I'm not mistaken, might have been The Magnificent too. Um, but has been just putting in work. But as an artist on his own two feet, you know, um, his last two albums have just been incredible. And now to have this, I just really, really, really dug this album. And it was one that people seemed to like, but I didn't see like get a lot of uh, recognition at the year end. So, I mean, it, it made my list. I know you've had a chance to check it out. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, so... I love Odyssey, one of my favorite artists of the last decade. Um, his album, The Iceberg, was probably my second favorite album of 2017 next to Dan. And you know what a statement that is. Mm. You know? um, Same. I'm going to pick up on your theme of growth. right? You've been talking a lot about growth. You talked about it with Logic. You talked about it with Action Bronson. Um, you know, For me, when I think about the good fight, and the iceberg, I think about two amazing albums like Borderline Classic. There, there, there's very little skippable material between the two of those albums combined. With this one, I didn't hear the growth. You know, it, it, it felt very much kind of more of the same to me in terms of um, his formula. And yes, it was personal and introspective. Those other two albums were too. And I thought they talked about more interesting themes, you know. Um, I found the skits to be a little bit paint by numbers um, as well. Um, the phone calls. Yeah. And so I had a high expectation for this. Um, so, and I, I, the beats and the rhymes weren't as, um, as great to me as they were on the other two projects. And so maybe this is partly uh, managing expectations, but um, it just didn't hit me the way those other two albums did, and as much as some of the other things did, you know. Um, so that was that was that was my take on on that album. That's a really fair assessment, and and I'll, I'll acknowledge that too, you know. Yeah. So next up for me is Childish Gambino. Uh, and, uh, if you want to get your R and B like uh, <laughs> counterpunch in, yeah. touche. Uh, but the album is three fifteen twenty. Um, uh, coincides with the date it was released. It was a surprise album by Gambino. Came just two days after J-Elec and Jay-Z. Uh, so in the height of lockdown, everyone is like stunned at this point. And so um, again, it was a welcome kind of like distraction from everything that was going on um, in a very confusing and scary world for a lot of people. It was a funky, upbeat album, you know, I call this album kind of like his tribute to Prince. There's a lot of tracks on here that are very much, you know, of that um, mindset. And I'll get so and you know, so key tracks for algorithm. You know, it's got that John A. Uh, hook to it. Um, you know, Hey Mr. DJ. Um, sonically, production-wise, it sounds very mid 2000s Timberland. Um, you know, feel the production like uh, sexy back. You know, not much. Um, very like uh, minimalist like melody uh, and much more into the percussion 
Um, and it's just a weird, like just the notion of algorithm in a world where we were about to all become so virtual and plugged in and controlled by algorithms was kind of a, a foreshadowing, um, you know, a premonition um, in a really kind of spooky but cool way. Um, 1238 is him doing his Prince tribute. It feels a lot like uh, it's patterned after the Ballad of Dorothy Parker. Mm -hmm. I actually challenge people to go back and listen to that and you'll start to hear uh, the way the story unfolds, the elements of the story, the cadences he uses, certain phrases are very similar. You know, I think it's truly kind of tracking to the Ballad of Dorothy Parker. Um, it's back and forth with the, the woman that he's with, all of it. And then he's got 21 Savage, who had a very quiet year, too. Um, and he sounds amazing on that track. Um, 1910, another um, Prince-sounding song. And then Scott Feels Like Summer, which, you know, came out as a two-pack the year before. And that was one of my favorite songs of, 20, of the 2010s, not even just that year, 2010s. Yeah. I had that song, just constant rotation. Um, and so, you know, those things made me really love this album. Um, and it, again, this is another one where he's doing something a bit more nuanced than what Logic is. And he's saying that it's his last album is Childish Gambino. That leaves the door open for him to make music as Donald Glover. And so um, yeah, I think he might just be retiring the name. Um, but if it is the end, I think it's a fitting end to the Childish Gambino legacy. Um, and he progressed from being a mixtape underground rapper to a really critically acclaimed um, soul singer, you know, and um, yeah, I think this is a, a really great um, a progression in his career. Yeah. I mean, you said you use the L word, which is big for you, but like you love this album and I do too. I just don't consider it a hip hop album. I think it's as much a hip hop album as you get from, you know, uh, post Malone at times or an Anderson pack. And, you know, that's always been a challenge. I think some of these years we've included um, stuff that toes that line. A few years ago, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we include, uh, included Jadana. And that was an album from him that had a lot of rapping on it, but was also other things in other places. Kind of like do smoke. <laughs> well, listen, when we get to negotiate, we might, we, might, we, we might have some bargaining that's revealed itself in this discussion. I have nothing critical to say of this record. I think it's great, but it it sets a precedent that makes things complicated because there were other great albums this year that were out of genre. Um, and, you know, I think you really, the way that, the way that Donald Glover samples or homages is perfect to me. I know there's people out there that feel like, you know, with his big breakthrough three years ago that, you know, it was, a bit bitey of Bootsy and, and Parliament Funkadelic. I thought it was perfect homage. Um, and I kind of feel the same way in the relationship this project has with Prince. Um, it makes you want to go back and see, but I think he, he is overt, but at the same time, clever in that. I just, yeah, I just, is not, it's not a hip hop album. And I, you know, you and I have included Drake on this list before. There's, there's artists that can be melodic in many things, but when it's, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you, on a pie chart, how much of this album do you think has actual rapping in it? I mean, listen, I'm not going to debate that, right? Like, um, uh, 21 said, the only rapping that comes is from the guests. You know, I, I think Donald is all singing. I, I think it slides into 
and I've had this debate with friends of mine um, about whether Anderson Pack is a rapper or a singer. I think on songs like Lockdown, he raps. Yeah. But I think a lot of the songs that he does, he's actually singing. And just because he raps, sometimes people are attributing it to rap. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue that this is a, a rap album. It's not. Definitely um, vast majority singer, for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to that. And and yeah. And Anderson, I mean, it, it gets really gray. Um, so the the last album, not on the list, but the most recent album is Euro Droog. Um, who put out a project in the last couple of weeks called Dump Y.O.D., you know, his initials, the Crew Toy Edition. Um, you know, I, I think Droog is a really interesting artist that stepped into um, an amazing space over the last two years. You know, there's people that are still hung up from the mid-2010s when there was, and, and AFH was part of this, like, you know, questioning the possibility or likelihood that he was really Nas. We're long past that. And, and Drew gave us three albums last year, two of which were very close to making my list. And it was one of those cases where, you know, the staff and you, it just couldn't make the list. Doesn't mean I love them any less, but it was one of those. So here he comes with this. And to call it a dump is this term that a lot of artists are using when they're just kind of throwing a series of tracks together and putting it out on the streaming platform. And, and Droog and his cohorts of Makami and the God Fahim are, are big proponents of this. This is not a dump. This is a very um, thematic project that deals with Droog's personal, um, you know, kind of immigration experience and heritage, as well as his acclamation. Um, you listen to his cadence, his voice, his subject matter, his, his vernacular. Droog is, is, you know, New York, New York, you know. Um, but people, what they might not know is that, you know, he's a Ukrainian immigrant, you know, who grew up speaking Russian. Even Drug is a word that I believe means friend. So even down to his name. And you have an artist that people thought kind of coming in was mimicry or carbon copy or, you know, something less genuine. And this album, this collection of songs is really authentic, really personal. Um, and it doesn't compromise on what he does so well, which is compound rhyme, rhyme schemes, really, really top-notch punchlines. You know how much Big L means to him when you listen to Droog or Doom. Um, and, and this one has really exciting guests. Um, you got Fonte, Black Thought, LP, as well as Makami, Fahim, Billy Woods, who put out a really good joint this year with Armand Hammer. Um, and it's one of those albums that just kind of came and there was no real hype around it, a sudden drop. And to me... I've listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And I think that Droog has, you know, as we talk about repetition and growth, I think this really um, marks new levels. It's not my favorite production that he's had, but on the lyrical side, he's going places. And that's awesome to see, you know, six years after that kind of introduction. You know, it's interesting because, um, this has happened with you and I both where one will start off a fan of someone and the other will like them, but it'll, the, the balance will kind of shift in terms of who prefers the artist over the other, you know, and I started off, I think the one who was much more kind of like obsessed with Drew, you know, especially in those early days, I really loved that initial EP. Um, and, you know, a lot of his earlier work, I still am a fan. Um, but for this one, and, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't given it that much time. Um, it's new. 
but um, a, a big part of it is uh, is production. You know, I'm I'm drawn in by the music first. You know, and if the music really captivates me, then I'll go back and listen to um, the lyrics more and really start to spend time with it and um, you know digest it properly. I think part of what I need to do is go back and give it a few more spins. And so, like you know, um, you know. I'll acknowledge that. I'm not going to try and front like, you know, it's an album I spent a ton of time with. Uh, but those were my initial kind of, um, not including it was, I'm just not as familiar with it. And part of that's because it didn't suck me in the way that I, that I expected it to initially, you know. Uh, a lot of his music, though, I find to be pretty complicated, and pretty complex yeah. in a good way. But like, the, and I think a lot of times with that kind of music, it ends up, um, paying dividends when it, you finally kind of like, um, you know, get it, you know, when, when it clicks. Uh, but it does take kind of devotion and multiple listenings, which more, many people don't do now. Right now, it's got to be instantly accessible. But I find often the richest um, musical experiences are the ones where it takes a little time to kind of settle in. So, um, you know, um, next on my list is another artist. I find myself arguing for the artists that you and I have. Uh, that you and I have had on the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Let's this, me off the hook. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lyric Jones, Closer Than They Appear. You know, um, uh, this was a welcome, welcome um, release for me. You know, I, it was not on my radar until, um, you know, our, our, our colleague uh, sent it to us um, saying, hey, will you guys check this out and consider you know, having it on the show? And we had heard the, the first song, uh, but then when we started digging into it, it became more and more interesting to me. Um, you know, I consider it more of an EP than an album, just because mm -hmm. it's only, I think, 22 minutes long. Um, it's got some skits and everything, but it does have nine tracks, I believe. It's co-produced by Fonte, or executive produced by Fonte. Uh, and Fonte said that he views lyric as a female version of himself, um, which is you know, high praise, you know, given, you know, everything he's accomplished, um, the fact that, you know, Drake is patting himself off of Fonte and like just the, the, the impact he's had in the culture. Um, and it's really solid from front to back. You know, I think it's some of Lyric's best work and she's been an MC that's been in the game for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people should go back and check out that interview and hear more about who she is directly from herself. It's a really fascinating story. Um, and the album to me has a lot of textures from Little Brother and also the Foreign Exchange. You can definitely hear the Fonte influence in both. The key tracks are Rock On, which ironically to me sounds a lot like a Ninth Wonder beat. Um, that's produced by Focus. So um, you know, I guess it's not so crazy uh, given uh, their, their affiliation. Um, Cruising features Little Brother. Show You How is a great back and forth with Vic Mensa, you know, also one of my favorite uh, MCs. And that beat sounds to me like vintage Catronata, actually, even though it's not Catronata on the track. Um, and then there's a song called Angelina, which has got a real Spanish feel to it, which is dope. Um, yeah, so just um, I, I think it's a really great listen, showcasing uh, another very talented uh, woman MC. Um, I think that, you know, when you and I talk about balance and what we want to achieve in these lists, yeah, we do think about things like that too. You know, um, how much are we representing different factions of hip hop? Yeah, I think with only Shade Noir on um, the list right now, we're pretty low in that regard. 
And so, um, you know, uh, you know, and again, I think one of the key things, recurring themes has been um, shining a light on MCs who otherwise wouldn't get it. And I think Larry fits in that category. I agree with that for sure. And that, um, that kind of fits of, of the last one that I'm going to present, um, Blue in Exile, Miles. And, you know, I'll admit to you this, this is not, this is an album that was on my list through a lot of this year, but as more music started to, started to come out, I bumped it off, but I spoke to a lot of esteemed colleagues, um, Justin Hunt being one who really went to the mat for this album. Um, you know, and I feel like Blue and Exile together are regularly compared against Below the Heavens, the same way Nas deals with that with Omatic or Snoop with Doggy Style. And the fact of the matter is both of these guys have made really good stuff together and in their individual career sense that I often feel goes unrecognized. People get lost in the lights of the nostalgia of what they made together in 2006 or seven, whenever that was. So this is the longest album on the list. As far as I can tell, it's an hour and a half. Um, and even though, you know, it's a fat beats, dirty science, which is exiles label, You've got Miguel, who long before his own stardom, you know, was on Blue and Exile stuff. You've got uh, Alo Black, which was, you know, Exile's partner for all those years. Um, and then you've got some, you know, I can go on and on. Um, Fashan is there. C.S. Armstrong is also on Black Thoughts album in a few different places. Dag Savage, Last Artful Dodger. You got AC Alone, who to me, Blue is an important continuation of that L.A. underground that Freestyle Fellowship and Project Blowed kind of paved the way. Um, so this album is a very, very, very dense listen. Um, on one hand, its title is an homage to Miles Davis. Um, and, you know, both Blue and Exile are jazz cats, same as Sky Zoo. Just they really channel that into their rap. But on another, um, Miles represents distance. Um, you know, the miles these guys have come together, the miles they are apart from each other, maybe, you know, in kind of more virtual times. There's just a lot at play here. And like I said, I've talked to a lot of people who really consider this to be in their top three. So as I've done in years past, when it comes to these, I do try to kind of do what a delegate does, you know, um, in a real election is hear what the people are saying and put it out there. And, and um, you know, this is an album that I think to appreciate, you have to play end to end, which is hard. It's hard to find 90 minutes, but it's, it's there and it's great. And it's something that I feel was warranted time in this discussion. Yeah. You know, so for this one, it's similar to Drew. I haven't spent much time with it, um, but there are reasons for that, you know, um, below the heavens was one of my favorite albums of the, of the arts. It, it reestablished the underground for me. It reestablished uh, West coast hip hop. I thought it was a seminal album in starting a, a new movement for where hip hop was going. Um, and it was rare, you know, I know Exile, like uh, Apollo Brown, um, had his run of doing full albums with different MCs each year. And Blue was probably always my favorite. I think he did one with Fashion and, yeah. you know, done others. Um, but Blue, that album was always the favorite for me in the Blueprint. So when they returned, um, you know, maybe four or five years ago, um, and started doing music together again. Uh, I had high expectations, and each time um, they weren't met for me. Like, I didn't hear anything that compelled me in the same way that that first album did. 
So I haven't spent, because of that, I haven't spent as much time because we've put out like two or three net projects since then um, with this as I, I have, but it's something, and listen, I'll learn as much from you yeah. as I do from anyone else. Um, and so, you know, it's something that I, I'll, I'll go back to. Um, the last one that I'll present is one that I'm very, 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 very passionate about. And uh, you had your shot earlier with D Smoke about TDE for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reality is, I'm a huge fan of TDE. Um, you know, uh, here in J Rock, um, um, Hook gonna love it. And just like me, um, you know, back um, from that album, um, Follow, Follow Me Home, um, yeah. were th those two songs like just changed with J Rock, his voice, just like the power and the realness of what he was rapping about. Like, um, and since then, I've been a huge TDE fan. And you know that I've had the opportunity to work with them very, very closely over a number of years. Um, and to be able to work with a, a label whose music means so much to me is like just one of the greatest gifts I've ever had in my career. Um, you know, Kendrick might be my GOAT. Like him and Jay are like, you know, to me, like the Michael Jordan and LeBron, like um, of rap in terms of like um, just artistry and just, just greatness as, as MCs. Um, and I will say that Reason, um, New Beginnings, Reason, you know, being the artist, um, the latest artist from TDE, uh, his album New Beginnings, uh, you know, when his record The Soul dropped, which, you know, was a had a clever reference to this album back in 2017 uh, or 2018, um, uh, the first line in that record, The Soul is Patience, New Beginnings Coming. And, you know, uh, it sounds like, but he's actually was referencing his, his debut album. And it turns out he's saying this isn't even his true debut album. He's saying that this is some music he'd been working on, but his real debut, he still got locked in the chamber. When I heard that record, The Soul, and then went back and listened to his mixtape, The Free Album from, I think, 2016, I became deeply emotional about reason. Like I became obsessed in a way that I've not been obsessed about music since when I first hear, heard Good Kid, Mad City, and when I first heard um, Erica Badu's Baduism, like there are only a few albums in my life that have affected me in the same way. And it's going through a very challenging time in my personal life. And it really helped me get me through like music does, you know? And so, uh, and then I did, was able to do a, what I believe is a phenomenal interview with Reason. Um, and I yeah. think that's on, on, on our YouTube page too. Uh, but he's just got such incredible um, punchlines and such sharp insights. And, um, you know, like a Nas wasn't necessarily doing the things that he's talking about was, was very much an observer of these things in his community, you know, and, and just is able to distill it like a true poet. And so I feel very strongly about reason, you know, and this album, it took me a while because like with J-Rock's um, last album, I expected more soulful, like, you know, like um, straightforward rap, like, um, and he talks about being soulful a lot of times, but this one, he updated it into a more contemporary sound. And I think this is a progression that started with TDE with um, the Black Panther, Panther soundtrack where they updated and maybe even before with Kendrick Sessions with Mike Will, but mm -hmm. they started to meld their, more conscious, more lyrical sound with a more contemporary uh, trap heavy type sound, um, you know, and J-Rock continued that with his album. 
uh, Schoolboy Q continued it with his album and Reason continues it to some degree on New Beginnings. Uh, you hear it like on Pop Shit, you know, which has a rare Schoolboy Q verse uh, and a couple other songs, but there's other songs that are um, soulful and back into that mold that I really loved. And, you know, when I listen to it more and more, I like the project cohesively you know i like the variety i like the way that he changes his sound i talked about black thought and kind of rapping with one speed reason is not falling into that that pattern he's you know making his flow diverse as Busta did uh his song i can make it um with rhapsody features one of rhapsody's best verses of the year and talking about a very different kind of subject matter than you usually hear from rap um fall takes on the ills of the industry you know about how Often as an artist, they push you, um, either the fans or you know, even the label or both, push you towards substance abuse and the pressures that women face to be hypersexual and the sexual harassment they face. You know, that's the kind of real talk that Reason uh, puts in his songs. Slow Down is a sequel to his song, Better Days, which was uh, from um, his, uh, his, uh, his first official de debut album, which is There You Have It, which was really a re-release of a mixtape, um, uh, but there was a song called uh, "Better Days" on um, on that and um, and his first album, um, where he talks about a cousin, um, and it's actually on, on his free free album too. He talks about a cousin who's going through some things, and this song is the sequel to that. It talks about the fallout uh, that he had with his cousin by including him in a song and not talking to his cousin first, giving him the heads up as to why, you know, that he, the fact that he was going to rap about him and putting his business out there. So it talks about that, the fallout they had and their eventual reconciliation and other problems that his cousin has. So just having that kind of continuity, you really know this guy is talking about real life things for himself. Um, you know, Pick It Up has got Absol sounding as good as he has, and it's another rare verse from him too. You got Carson's Finest in the House. And then I think the song um, Windows Cry is as raw and as honest as you'll ever get from That's my joint. where he's going straight at TDE, you know, and the suspicions he has having Musa, you know, who's Top Dog's son, be his manager. And, you know, um, having Ali, who is a resident engineer, mixing his stuff and like he's competitive with the other MCs there. And, uh, you know, the insecurities he has about his career, like uh, just those kind of things make me extremely passionate about reason. And, uh, you know, when uh, uh, there are some guys that have ridden really hard for in my career and had a pretty significant hand in helping them advance their careers. You know, Kendrick, um, you know, Crit, um, Vic Mensa, Rhapsody, uh, and, and I use the guys' terms loosely, obviously, um, you know, and reason is a person that I would, I would plant that stake for and ride as hard as I possibly could for, you know, so I'm doing that right here. Um, you know, features on the album, School by Q, Vince Staples, Absol, Rhapsody, Isaiah Rashad, and J.I.D. Um, producers, um, to his credit, mostly newer names, um, Kyle Banks and AC, the producer, and uh, I, I don't even know how to say it, but Nabian, I believe, N-A-B-E-Y-I-N or Nabian. Um, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, these are guys that he has said, okay, I'm going to craft my own sound with. And so, you know, uh, reason, man, like, uh, I, I'll, I'll ride higher for reason on this. Well, that's, I mean, that's where it's a great place to close this part of the discussion. I mean, we have 14 we agree on. 
we have 26 total. And then historically, when we've done that, you, you opened talking about reason with the word passion. I'm very passionate about this project. And I don't have, you know, qualms with reason the way I do others. I, I thought it was really good, but it was one of those, you know, that again, for my list um, of 20, it was close. It was definitely in the conversation, but I ended where I ended. I think that, you know, passion is one of those royal flushes. Like, and obviously we're all passionate about the artists and the albums that we've spent the time to talk about here, but that means something. Um, so how do we, you know, what do you propose for... I mean, that's a good point. Like, so typically we, we always have disagreement with these lists and in the end, there's a bit of horse trading yeah. and a lot of it does have to do with passion. Like, you know, if there's something that you or I really is riding super hard for. Yeah. Uh, typically the other will respect that and defer and also understand that, you know, you and I have always been a Venn diagram, you know, and I think that um, with that, we end up representing uh, a very large portion of our audience by giving that give and take instead of it falling yeah. in one court or the other. And obviously always there's, you know, we do this in consultation with tons and tons of writers who contribute over time. And so that's always a stopgap uh, in case we can't agree. But I propose that we each pick three that like we would like, you know, fall on the sword for and see if um, the other can live other can live with that. And if, if there's something we got to like, okay. we got to retool, we go from there. So okay. I'll, I'll tell you mine would be static reason. And the third is really, really tough. Static reason. And I'm going to go with lyric as my third. Mm. Damn. I, um, Man, I like those three. For me, doing the same. Black Dot. I'm writing this down so we know when we fight where the blood stains <laughs> are. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna give it up for your old Droog. I, I I really, and I know that you said that's a that's a blind spot for you. Um, not a blind spot, but. Um, Man, and of the third, I, I really valued what you said about Odyssey. I think that's a really interesting point that if we were having this discussion in a meeting or over the document, that's something to consider. Um, I love the Sky Zoo project. I really do. Um, and selfishly, well, give me one second here. Because I want to say D Smoke, but I also know as, as critical as I have of Logic, that is probably of my choices, the album you're most critical of, D Smoke. Yeah. yeah. And I factor that, like, you know, and, and I want to hear you out. Um, and what you're saying isn't that it's not a great album, but that it veers very R&B. And you've heard me out a bit on uh, Gambino with that. So... Well, my inclination is to include D Smoke in this part of the conversation. I um, I'm just on the fence between Blue and Exile and uh, Sky and Dumbo. And you know, to thy own self be true, Blue and Exile, the merits I've gotten from other people. I think it's a great album, but it just you couldn't keep in my twenty. It's short. And Lyric Jones is short. So we're both coming in with albums that are very short that some people would easily call EPs, 
but I'm going to close it out with Sky and Dumbo for me. Dumbo Station. All right. So then, um, um, so then by my count, we will have added Black Thought, Sky Zoo, and Dumbo Station, Yorl Drew, Lyric Jones, Reason. Right? Yeah. And Static Selective. Yeah. All right. So that's our, we, we can agree that's our top 20. Yeah. I just, as a parting shot, are we looking? Is there any that we feel sick to our stomach that we're overlooking? Um, you know, I know you, you really, you like that Bronson and. Um, I like the Bronson, but t- to your point, like um, it's not, it's not really new ground for Bronson. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great like return to form and like, you know, it's, you know, Bronson doing Bronson, but it's not new ground, you know? Um, and logic is the same thing for me. You know, you, you made that point. Well, I agree with that. Uh, you know, I think that for me, lyric with Gambino, like not really a rap album. So I'm cool with that. Um, you know, lyric, I feel strongly about because, I do want to give up and coming artists, you know, an artist who's actually been on the ground for quite some time yeah. and a woman, um, the, the flowers that I think that she's due. And I think she's put together a really great project. It's short to the point, but I think it's, it's really good. Um, you know, and yeah, so I can live without logic. I can live without Gambino and I can live without Bronson. Uh, reason you know that one was we we're gonna fight to the death on that one um, yeah and again all of these albums even even logic i can say nice things about, but i mean all of these albums have have their merits and i i like reason a lot and i'm 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 satisfied with this 20 and i know i know with great certainty that our readers will have things to say our readers and right. viewers and all right, cool. So I'm going to read them off one last time. Our top Word. 20 for 20 is Royce 5-9, The Allegory, Nas's King Disease, Nana, Save Yourself, Jay Electronica, A Written Testimony, um, and I'm going to put in parentheses featuring Jay-Z, Run the Jewels, RTJ4, West Side Gun, Pray for Paris, Apollo Brown and Shade Noir, As God Intended, Buster Rhymes, Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God, Deontay Hitchcock, Better, Problem, Coffee and Kush Volume 2, Benny the Butcher, Burden of Proof, 2 Chains, So Help Me God, Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist, Alfredo, Boldy James and the Alchemist, The Price of Tea in China, Black Thought, Streams of Thought 3, Cain and Abel, Static Selector, The Balancing Act, Sky Zoo and Dumbo Station, The Bluest Note, Your Old Drew, Dump Y.O.D., Crutoy Edition, Lyric Jones, Closer Than They Appear, and Reason, New Beginnings. We got a nice balance, I think, of veterans. We got Royce, you know, uh, I put JJ Alec in that category, Buster for sure, Two Chains. We got a nice, um, and Black Dot, of course, and Static too. We got a nice assortment of um, MCs who repped the underground really, really hard between Sky Zoo and your old Drew. Um, and, uh, you know, Boldy James, we've got, uh, and, and a problem, we've got, uh, a, a strong set of producer, producer collabs with, uh, Apollo Brown and Static. Uh, we've got, um, women represented, not as much as I would like, but some, 
uh, with uh, Lyric, you know, Chez and, and Chez Noir. And we've got that Griselda sound, which I think they've dominated 2020. Um, we got Two Chains and Killer Mike from the South, Deontay Hitchcock from the South. I yeah. mean, that's three Atlanta delegates right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel good about this list, man. You? Yeah, I really do. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are great albums that is as comprehensive as you and I are, we haven't heard yet. And, you know, last year when it came out, it, it was a late year drop. I was like, damn, Brother Ali and Evidence, you know, Secrets and Escapes, that was great. You and I, two plus years later, continued to debate whether Tana Talk 3 or Supreme Blind Tell belonged in the 18 list. So these things live on and we pay attention. And I just as a fan want to hear where um, folks think that we got it wrong or overlooked or, you know, showed too much favoritism. Word. All right. So we typically end this with a song of the week, but I'm going to propose a modification given the theme. Um, let's go with album of the year. What's your album of the year? At this point, I'm going to give it back to Royce where I felt for most of the year, the allegory, Royce the 5'9". You? I'm sticking with Buster, man. Um, these are all phenomenal albums. I think Buster, though, is just a masterpiece and uh, the crown jewel of his career, um, an incredible career. I'm not mad at that. Word. Well, our longest podcast to date, uh, but I think, you know, well worth it. I don't know about you, yeah, man. but um, time for a bathroom break. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, man, I enjoyed it. Yeah, Likewise, sure. man. Happy happy holidays to all of our uh, listeners, viewers, fans, readers, haters, whatever, man. We appreciate you all so much. Word, for sure. All right.